Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. And DeYoung sends one out to deep left center. At the wall. Gone! Into the bullpen! Two-run homer! He continues to destroy the Mets. DeYoung cranks one. Deep left at the track at the wall. Grand slam. Grand slam. Paul DeYoung. Welcome back to Paul DeYoung and welcome back to all of you with Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins. I'm Brandon Kylie. Paul DeYoung officially returning from the injured list. He is expected to be in the lineup today against the Chicago Cubs. And Alex, this is a big one for the Cardinals. We came into the year, and when we did our 20 most important players for the 2021 season, Paul DeYoung came in at number three on our list. Still think that was a little high? I think so. (laughs) I think our guy Tanner Hendrickson had a lot to do with that. However, he is a significant piece to what the Cardinals are trying to build. I remember listening to John Mosaylock. This is from January talking about the Cardinals expectations for Paul DeYoung and I think it's important now as he's coming back to think back to what the expectations were coming into the season if all goes well with him he's he's someone that could win a gold glove and he is someone that we think can be you know an impact middle of the order hitter now lots of things have to go right on that I think the one thing you would like to see out of Paul is is consistency you know he's someone that when you ask me what I expect from him next year it's it's to be a really good player and that was before the season I feel like the only consistent thing that we've seen from Paul DeYoung is the inconsistency so far this season he's batting 177 with a 650 OPS his defense has been really inconsistent as well if you like the nerdy numbers I'm not a big fan of them defensively but I think they go along with the eye test for Paul DeYoung in particular He's ranking in the seventh percentile, which means 93% of the league is better than him defensively so far this year. Alex, they need him to get going in his return today out at Wrigley. Yeah, they need uh, the rookie of the year runner up, Paul DeYoung. They need the guy who was an all-star back in 2019, Paul DeYoung. And he's not trending in that direction. And I think according to a lot of Cardinals fans, he's never going to get back anywhere near that. I think a lot of Cardinals fans are expecting an Aledmus Diaz, Paul DeYoung, for the rest of his time here. I just don't know if that's there. The part that I'm going to hold tight is that Paul DeYoung has had a lot of time off. And we've seen that with Tyler O'Neill this season. I didn't have as much time off as Paul DeYoung, but we've seen time off benefits the player. We've seen time off for Harrison Bader benefiting the player. Hopefully this time away from the game for Paul DeYoung can kind of take a breath, 
look at this picture from a distance and say, okay, what am I, what am I missing right now? Because he has not, he's been nowhere near the type of guy that the expectations were this season. I mean, he got a 177 batting average. The home runs have been nice, but with the home runs, I feel like we're saying about Paul DeYoung what we were saying about Tyler O'Neill, right? It's either power or strikeout. Yep. Tyler O'Neill's fixed that a little bit. Can Paul DeYoung fix that? And I think this is a crucial year for him. I know we talked about how he's controllable and he's not going anywhere, but I think the play of Edmundo Sosa has forced the hand of Mike Schilt to say, if you're not if you're not performing to the level that Edmundo Sosa was, you might be a bench bat for us. I don't know how long, I think it's going to take a little while to get there, but I think there's at least more pressure from behind, right? There, there's somebody that is kind of over the shoulder for Paul DeYoung. I do think he's going to be your starting shortstop moving forward, though. This team has a ton invested in him, both monetarily and time and experience with Paul DeYoung. The funny thing is, he's actually lowered his strikeout rate and increased his walk rate this year, which typically you would see as a good sign. It reminds me a lot of what we saw last year from Tyler O'Neill. All of the peripheral numbers, the lower strikeout rate, higher walk rate, that stuff, it looked much better for O'Neill. But the power had disappeared. And so the things that made him a valuable piece were no longer there. And it's like, okay, I would rather just have the power. You can you can strike out that 30%. It is what it is. We'll live with it. Take your lower walk rate. Just go up there and be you. And that's what I want to see more of from Paul DeYoung as he returns into the lineup. Heck, man, I would take what we saw from Paul DeYoung in 2019. He had a great start and a bad finish, but on a whole, he finished the year with a 235 batting average. You'd like to see better than that, but I'd live with it. And he had a 765 OPS. That year, he had 30 homers and 31 doubles. <laughs> this team could use a guy like that. Yeah. If he finishes this year with 20 homers because he's missed so many games now, 20 to 25 homers and 20-ish doubles, that's the kind of piece that they need towards the bottom of their lineup. And I think that's a significant part of this as well, Alex. He started out the year as your cleanup hitter. There has never been less pressure on Paul DeYoung, basically since he entered the everyday stage of his career, than there is right now. Tyler O'Neill has taken some of that burden off of Paul DeYoung. The increased uh, productivity of Dylan Carlson and expectations for him going up towards the top of the lineup. That has taken some pressure off of DeYoung. So I do think that's going to potentially be good for him as well. Yeah, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, BK. Him coming back today, if we expect him to be back today, of course, we're waiting to find out what that lineup will be. Where do you put Paul DeYoung? Because... Seventh. Yeah, I'm not moving Tyler O'Neill. I'm not moving Yadier Molina. Yeah, I would go Edmund, Carlson... Goldie, Arenado, same top four that you've had for the last month or so now. And then I would have O'Neal fifth, I would have Yachty sixth, and I would go Paul DeYoung as my seven-hole hitter right now. See, I'm kind of wondering if you put Paul DeYoung eighth. Because if Matt Carpenter is going to be playing, which my gut says he's going to be because... I bet you it'll be Sosa. You think so? Yeah. Even with Carp even with Carpenter as well as he's been playing as of late offensively? I think two out of the three games, because of what you need defensively with your starting pitching kind of being erratic right now, I would go with the, or excuse me, I would go with Edmundo Sosa at second, two out of three, and, and put one him game eighth. with uh, yeah. Matt Carpenter. I think that's smart. Regardless if it's seventh or eighth, I think that's the way you go. I think you put him in a non-pressure situation. I don't think you bring Paul DeYoung back and say, okay... Five hole hitter, here you go. Now, I think you put him in a position where it's just go be Paul DeYoung, right? Like, honestly, you need to mimic what you've done with Tyler O'Neill because Tyler O'Neill has just played with 
zero pressure. And he's kind of the measuring stick for me in this one for Paul DeYoung because you need the guy to go back to what he has been rather than what he's been trying to be. And I thought when Nolan Arenado was acquired, it was really going to help Paul DeYoung to stop trying to be that home run hitter from what we've seen in the last couple of seasons. Um, but it hasn't gotten there yet. So hopefully something like this can provide Paul DeYoung to say, okay, just go be yourself, which I would put him in that seventh spot because you absolutely need him right now. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, but Mundo Sosa's playing well, just keep him in the lineup. Yeah, but you, you need Paul DeYoung's power. You need some threat in the middle of that order right now, right behind Tyler O'Neill and Yachty. This is a big series for the Cardinals. Going up to Chicago, the Cubs are riding a little hot right now. They've played really well. You look around the division as a whole. The Brewers are really getting hot. They're now 35 and 27, tied with the Cubs atop the division. Cardinals go into the series three games back. Best case scenario, you finish this series tied with the Cubs after the series. I think a successful series, and I hate saying this because it's low expectations, you got to take one. You have to get one of the three. And I think the most likely game that you could get it is tomorrow with John Gant on the mound. Your boy, John Gant. That's right, Harry I have Houdini. the most confidence in him, which is kind of amazing. Hendricks is just a really tough matchup for the Cardinals. It's a really tough one. Yeah. Um, Carlos going on the being on the mound for the Cardinals on Sunday, that's another tough one. So take one out of three. I think you feel pretty good about that. That's where I stand going into this one. Cardinals Cubs begins this afternoon. It's a 120 first pitch in that one. We'll have full coverage for you throughout the day here on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11:13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Buster only brought up a name yesterday that I think for some might even take precedent over Max Scherzer. We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, the big story in hockey last night was Vegas taking down the Colorado Avalanche. Did that make you feel better, worse? Did it change anything about the way you feel about the Blues moving forward? We'll ask Alex Ferrario, a Blues insider, next on 101 ESPN. Into the zone by the Golden Knights. Here's Tuck with a drive. Missed the net and then Petrangelo scores! With Alex, I was going to say Alex Petrangelo. Petro is not co-hosting our show today. Man, that would be incredible. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. Vegas wins last night. They are advancing to not the conference semifinals. We're not, or excuse me, the conference finals. Yeah, we're not doing that called. this year. The third round yes. of the Stanley Cup okay, playoffs is what we're talking about this year. You understand we're in a possibility where an Eastern Conference team could be taking on an Eastern Conference team for a Stanley Cup. Yep. What a world we live in, man. Welcome to 2021, What a man. world we live in. Vegas dominated in the last four games against Colorado. They went down 0-2, and then they just, with all of the fire and emotion that you could possibly have, won the last four games. And Petro was a big part of that. But I, we'll talk about that here in a second, Alex. Did we learn anything about the Blues, about the Avs? What did we learn from this series between the Avs and the um, and the Vegas Golden Knights that applies to St. Louis? <sighs> For me, I learned that the Blues still aren't far away from being a cup contender because heaviness and physicality still win series. People came into this playoff because of Colorado's success saying, oh, well, speed is how you win the Stanley Cup right now, right? Speed and talent, Nathan McKinnon, Rantanen, the young guys. Well, Vegas just went out and showed you why that's not true. Mark Stone is not the fastest player in the National Hockey League. You guys understand he eliminated Nathan McKinnon in these final four games. Like McKinnon had two assists last night, but if you look at his point total in the last four games, I think he had one goal. 
like eliminated him. And that's Mark Stone, who is not a fast player. You look at the fourth line for the Vegas Golden Knights. That's a fourth line that that imitates what the Blues had when they won the Stanley Cup. Of Ryan Reeves, who I know was in and out of the lineup, but you had William Carrier, Keegan Colasar scores a big time goal last night against the, the Vegas Golden Knights. Last night wanted to give the fourth line their star of the game. They should have the first star because that fourth line went out there and did what the Blues fourth line did in that in the Cup run that they had. And they found a way to outduel their line combination that they were going up against on the ice. But for me, the biggest thing that I took away watching that matchup was the Blues are still in it. Like the Blues still have a chance to compete with these teams because Colorado to everyone looked like the far and away team that nobody can compete with. But number one overall picks and multiple top five picks in the NHL don't mean you're going to win the Stanley Cup. It comes down to goaltending. It comes down to really good defense. And it comes down to four lines matching the play style that the coach wants to play. And if you watch the way that Vegas played in these last four games, they played a consistent line after line after line after line heavy style. It's what Craig Bruby had been calling for the entire postseason. The Blues just never could find it. That's how Vegas won. And if you look at the teams that have advanced, New York, Tampa, Montreal, and Vegas, all four of those teams, maybe not as much with Montreal because they don't play as big in front of the net offensively as they do behind the net, but all the three other teams play a heavy style that they're going to score goals by going to the dirty areas and get their asses kicked in front of the net. And they've got some players that can play with speed. Yeah. Like all, all of these teams that you mentioned, they've got the blend. They've got the speed and also they can play with the physicality and the biggest thing to me is the defense. The defense that you're watching from the Vegas Golden Knights, it looks similar to the defense that we saw here in St. Louis. Not surprisingly, they have Petro as a part of that. But we don't like to talk about that. It looks like the defense that we saw in St. Louis in that run to the cup as well. And I think that's a big part of this. As much as we've talked about the lack of a top line left winger, as much as we've talked about the lack of being able to roll the four lines, and that's important. That's going to be a big, it's, it's going to be a key to the offseason for Army this this year. They've got to find a way to improve their defense as well. Oh, yeah. They, they, need, they need a guy on the back end that gives them a little bit more of what they had with guys like Petro and Bo Meester, that size, that physicality in front of the net, they were lacking it a year ago, and that's something they need. But you need offensive ability from your defense as well. And I think that's why you got to find the right mix because I don't know if Vince Dunn is that right mix. you got to have some big size back there. Look at Vegas's defense. I mean, Shea Theodore is a big guy. Alec Martinez is a big guy. Braden McNabb is a monster along with Alex Petrangelo. I think the smallest guy on their team in terms of defense is either Holden or White Cloud. And those guys aren't that small. So, yes, you need size back there, but you also need offensive ability. They had seven points in that game yep. from the defense. Two goals, one from Petrangelo, one from Holden, and he had five assists. And then you had the block shots. You had the hits. You just have to have a five-man unit on the ice, and that's how Vegas won. They have a five-man unit that rolls out there. It's the way Pete DeBoer plays hockey. It's the way his team plays. The San Jose Sharks did the exact same thing against the Blues. They just didn't have the right players on that unit. So watching them play, heaviness is important, but you got to have a good defensive core. And I would say Vegas's defensive core is very comparable to what the Blues had when they won the Stanley Cup, not just because of Petrangelo, but the depth behind Petrangelo. Jay Bomeister, Pareko, Edmondson, Bortuzzo. That's what they have with Martinez and McNabb and Theodore and Petrangelo. you got to have probably a top four best in the National Hockey League defense to be in consideration for a cup. So let's talk about Petro. I would prefer you not to talk about that. Last Still night, hurts. 
in the arena, they announced him as the first star. He got the post-game press conference with NBC Sports, talked with them. He had a goal, an assist. He was uh, Talked with him without his shirt on, too. Just going straight man card out there. He was very good in the series. He was a plus five overall. I heard Carriker and Smallman with Curbs filling in today for Smallman. Talk about this a little bit. I want to play you what Kerber and Randy had to say about whether or not it was a mistake not bringing back Petro. And then I want to get your thoughts on this as well, Alex. I think it was the long-term responsible move. But that doesn't make it the short-term right move. No, it does not. Would you have loved to have had him for these two or three years? Absolutely. But when you look at what happened, because once you give a no-move clause to one guy, your other great players are going to ask, and they have to, by precedent, get them. And then you have what happened with the Blackhawks. Except for you just signed Tory Krug and Justin Falk to seven-year deals. Now, look, they're two years younger than Alex Petrangelo. But is Alex is Alex that good of a player, smart enough player, and that diligent of a pro that you're going to get good hockey from him? I, I, I believe he's got that ability yeah. to play a long time. So that's what Kerber and Randy said earlier today. I agree with Kerbs. And Curbs went on to say, I, I should put this out there, he think, he understands why they decided to do this. He gets it, um, but he, he wouldn't argue with somebody that would say it was a mistake. I think it was a mistake. I think we're going to look back at this and say the Blues would have been better off bringing back Petro for that eight-year, $8.8 million deal. Maybe in St. Louis it would have been eight years, $8 million with the no-movement clause that was going to be a clearly important factor for Petro. I think... Looking back on it, they made a mistake in not bringing back Petro. Alex, where do you fall? Hundred percent agree with Curbs, and I hundred percent agree with you. Unfortunately, I do disagree with Randy. I don't think it was the smart move long term because I think Alex Petrangelo, who yes, he's thirty one, it'll be thirty nine by the end of this deal. But I've seen forty one year old defensemen go out there and still play to Stanley Cup caliber level, and Alex Petrangelo is that type of player. Does eight million suck to give to a player? Yeah. Does it possibly hurt you in the chance of re-signing a Colton Pareko or bringing in other talent? Yeah. But you know what Alex Petrangelo does? He always gives you an elite defenseman. And I think for six of those eight years, Alex Petrangelo will still be considered an elite defenseman in the National Hockey League. The way I always viewed this, and look, I I am with Curbs. I understand why they went this route because of the no movement clause and because of kind of wanted to get a different identity. You wanted to shake some things up a little bit. I understand all of those those that go into it. But you don't just draft players fourth overall in the NHL draft. You can't find the talent of a fourth overall draft pick by picking 21st, 22nd, 23rd. You only find that talent when you're drafting in the fourth, third, second, first. Look at Colorado. You're not going to find a Nathan McKinnon in the draft unless you get really lucky. So I think it closed the window for the Blues a little bit when they lost Alex Petrangelo. I still think that window was open, but watching him perform in the playoff shows you why you needed Alex Petrangelo because you always need playoff performers and especially when it comes to a guy who can log 25 minutes of ice time a night and I think a lot of people will probably hear us say this and they'll immediately point to Tory Krug right because that was the pivot you you lose Alex Petrangelo and Tory Krug ends up being the guy that they signed and you also look at Justin Falk too and blame it on him which I don't think's right I'm not blaming anybody for this it's a set of circumstances that led them down this path and one of those significant pieces was the no movement clause which is no Nobody's fault. It's just a philosophical difference between Army and where I personally would view it. I think it's fine to give it to your very best player. 
I'm not giving that out willy-nilly, but if your captain that won the cup for the first time in franchise history wants it, that's where I will say, okay, I'm giving it to him. If Ryan O'Reilly asks for it, okay, I'll give it to Ryan O'Reilly. And that's it. If anybody else asks for it and they say that's a deal breaker for me, okay, fine, go ahead and walk. And a lot of people go to the Blackhawks and say, oh, well, look what the Blackhawks did and you don't want to get in that situation. You ask me any day of the week at the time that they're on that run, if I'm going to give a no movement clause to Patrick Kane, to Jonathan Taves, to Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, I'm giving it to him. Brent Seabrook might be the one I'd be like, nah, maybe not. But Duncan Keith, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane. Yeah, I'll give you a no movement clause when you're 45 years old because you're that good of a player. There's certain guys that deserve a no movement clause. And I think Alex Petrangelo was that one, not just for his play on the ice, but because he was a captain that got it done. And it takes a lot to be that guy. I mean, look at the captains in past history who have won the Stanley Cup. They're multiple Stanley Cup winners, right? There's a reason that those captains have gotten to the promised land because they know how to elevate the team around them. I'm not saying Ryan O'Reilly can't do that. We know Ryan O'Reilly can do that. And I do believe he will be a part of a Stanley Cup championship as a captain. But you don't just find guys like Alex Petrangelo in free agency or through a draft, right? Nick Lidstrom doesn't just hit free agency. And yeah, I'm comparing Petrangelo to a Nick Lidstrom because he is that caliber of a player. He's a Hall of Fame caliber player for how he plays defensively. And the reason why I brought up the Justin Falk, Tory Krug thing is because when they made that trade for Justin Falk, it became very difficult for them to rationalize bringing back Alex Petrangelo. It really did. If you think about it, Falk can play on his offhand. He can. It's not his best spot. His best spot is... Playing on the right side, and you've already got Colton Pareko, who is younger, who you're building around, and you're not going to pay $7 million for your third-pairing defenseman. You're just not. So realistically speaking, as much as Justin Falk, when he was brought in, was not a one-for-one replacement for Petro, we all should have probably seen the writing on the wall at that point that the Blues weren't going to bring back Petro. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made that trade for Falk. I think they knew internally Petro not probably get wants back. the no movement clause, and yeah. we're not willing to give that out. Yeah. And if that's going to be a end all be all point, they're not going to be able to make it work. It, and I think that looking back, that was the first moment where it became clear of that. And I do think, as you said, it didn't shut the window. It did not. I think the Blues can still win a cup. It made it much more difficult yeah. to win it without it him. It closed it a little bit, definitely, right now. Like, you probably need to find out how to seal that window rather than leaving it wide open. Um, from the 636, do you feel the same if Pareko is healthy all year? I don't I don't think Pareko can get to the level of Alex Petrangelo, but what I do believe is that the Blues could have a core of defense that matches what the core of defense for Vegas is providing. You'll never be able to match what Petro provides on the ice. But, but as I a think, six man unit kind but of as thing. a six man unit, I think with Pareko and Falk on the right side, a healthy Pareko and a healthy Justin Falk, those are two guys right there that can log 25, 26, 27 minutes of ice time and be really good. What I think is missing from this team is a lefty who can play with those four. Tory Krug is never going to be a 25, 26 minute a night guy who's going to play a two way style of defense. He's a specialist. That's what you signed him for. He's a Mike Hoffman on the blue line. You got to find yourself, if you want to compete with Vegas, if you want to compete with Colorado, compete for a cup, you got to go find yourself a guy who can play 25, 26 minutes of ice time on the left side with Pareko and Falk. Create a core unit of players that can match the core unit of Vegas. Last night, it was Alec Martinez who played about 24, 25 minutes alongside Alec, yeah. uh, Alex Petrangelo. He's 35 Shea years old. The, those are the guys that you need. 
You need somebody to fill that role. Yeah. And that's what the Blues are missing right now. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, Buster only mentioned a name yesterday that has Brad Thompson thinking he would take this guy over Max Scherzer at the trade deadline. We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. It closes in his I think they absolutely should put Zach Wheeler out on the market. You know, for the same reason that the Cubs did with you, Darvish, where, you know, it's not only, uh, you know, when Zach Wheeler signed his contract, he was at a different time for the financial landscape around baseball. Now Zach is one of the highest paid starting pitchers in baseball. He's having an excellent year. His value will never be higher for the Phillies than it is right now, and they need other payroll flexibility. Zach Wheeler is a name that has been inserted into the trade deadline mix. That was Buster Olney with us yesterday. Give it to me. Should be noted, he did say that's pure speculation on his part. He doesn't know that Zach Wheeler will actually be available, but that's no different than what we're doing with Max Scherzer. Right. We have no idea if Scherzer is going to be available or not. Based on their history, probably not. The Nationals don't do a whole lot of deadline dealing from their stars. Here's what I would ask you, Alex. Would Zach Wheeler, if he does become available, jump the line? Would he become the number one available target in your mind if he's out there, even over the likes of Max Scherzer in your mind? Yeah, I think he would. I really think he would. And here's why, because he's younger than Max Scherzer. And cost controls for and the next cost four, control, four years. Like, this this guy matches what the Cardinals need. This I, I always go back to a comp that... that Mike Matheny used to give to Lance Lynn and he called him a bulldog when he was on the mound. That's what Zach Wheeler reminds me of. I mean, what he's 90 and a third innings so far and he started 13 games. Quick Damn. math is not my, my specialty, but I'd say that's around seven innings a game yeah. for Zach Wheeler. How many guys do you have on your roster right now that give you seven innings a game? Oh, and by the way, keep it to a 2.29 ERA. Not a whole lot. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Zero. So, yes, I would take this over Max Scherzer. And part of me feels like the Phillies would ask less than what the Nationals would ask for Max Scherzer. And, and I, still think, I still think you're giving up a lot. But I feel like with Zach Wheeler, the Phillies, the Phillies need cap relief, right? The Nationals don't because he's a free agent. So they might just sit there and say, no, we'll try and re-sign him before free agency hits. Whereas the Phillies are thinking, we can get something for him now. Let's get something for him. It's interesting the way you look at it. If it is true that it would be cheaper to get, in terms of prospects, Zach Wheeler than Max Scherzer, that would sway my thinking, and I would definitely go the Zach Wheeler route. He's a lot of money, man. He's going to cost you about $100 million over this four-year stretch, and it's his age 31 through 34 season. I'm with you. I I hear what you're saying on it being fine for the quality of the pitcher. It won't be quite as fine if he gets hurt. And we've seen this year what it looks like when a mid-30s level pitcher who has a history of injuries with Miles Michaelis ends up going down again. It can completely decimate what you're trying to build in the rotation. That's my big holdup. Because if you're asking me about the quality of the starter, yeah, Zach Wheeler's fantastic. He's tremendous. And he is right up there right now at this point in their careers. I want to specify that with a guy like Max Scherzer. But if Scherzer is going to be a little cheaper because he's a rental and because he's, what, 36 years old right now and there's only so many teams he would go to because he's got that no trade clause, 
then I would lean towards Scherzer because there's much less risk there. Yeah, but how much do you think Max Scherzer's going to cost after this season? And I don't know, but I'm trading for – the trade would only be for these next, whatever, three months after that. Yeah, but you're, you have a bigger hole next year in your rotation than but what I can you figure have. that out in the offseason. Can you, though? Because I don't know if there's a lot of names that are on the market that are going to be worth spending. And if they are, you're going to be spending a lot of money for them on the market. Whereas Zach you Wheeler could... might be a guy that's available in the offseason. If he doesn't get traded at the deadline, maybe it is somebody that you revisit in the offseason. You know, you can all there's always going to be pitchers available. Yeah. Whether it be like you Darvish this year, I wouldn't have expected him to become available. But with everybody coming out of this pandemic and there's teams that are probably going to start going through that cycle of struggling again, there will be somebody, probably multiple somebodies that are out there for you if you want to improve the rotation next year. Yeah, I, I mean, still at the end of the day for me, and maybe I'm out on this because I guess this dep- this trade would depend on who I'm giving up. I'm not giving up a Matthew Levator for a Zach Wheeler. I might consider a Nolan Gorman because I'm giving Gorman up either way for Scherzer or Zach Wheeler and any other big name that comes down to the trade deadline. But if I could get him without giving up my farm, I think I would do Zach Wheeler over Max Scherzer. For what it's worth, you do have a strong advocate in Brad Thompson. He was on the fast lane yesterday and said he would do the same thing. He's under contract through 2024 and it's for sizable money, but and the stuff is really good. He's shoving. So, yeah, so which I, I know it, Max Scherzer is Hall of Famer as soon as he is eligible to be a Hall of Famer, and I would love to have him, but I, I'm thinking a few years down the road and, like, what I'm going to get out of each guy, I go Zach Wheeler. Think about this for a minute. Your rotation next year, the only thing you know is Jack Flaherty. Mm-hmm. The only thing you know is Jack Flaherty. And you could say Miles Michaelis, but honestly, we have no idea what Miles Michaelis is going to look like. Carlos is a free agent. Dakota Hudson's coming back from a Tommy John situation. You don't know if you're bringing back Wayno, and you don't Michaelis, think you're bringing back know. KK. Michaelis, you don't know. If you're telling me that I can have this guy under control for the next four years, yeah, I'm buying in on it because this is a legit number two starter. It's a totally fair argument. I just don't know that I would want to pay him $23 million per season over the next four years, or I guess for after this season, the next three years. Yeah. For a mid-30s pitcher, and we know pitchers break down regularly, and this is a guy that's had a history of injuries in his career as well, it is super risky. It's what, frankly, the Nationals have done, and it's come back to bite them a little bit finally. It didn't for a little while. They got away with it, but paying pitchers this kind of money, it might also take you out of the Jack Flaherty sweepstakes. That's the other thing that we have to keep in mind here is Flaherty has, I think, two years left on his deal they would overlap by a year or so there at the end. Does this take you potentially out of the Jack Flaherty sweepstakes if you were to go out there and trade for a guy like Zach Wheeler? I don't know, but that's something that's absolutely worth taking. Oh, yes! Oh, what is this? I don't think we should be doing this. What is this? We know what this is. You heard the air guns at the beginning of it. Is this the lineup game? This is the lineup game. Marty I thought said, this was the Fastlane No, thing. Marty said, you know what, Fastlane? This is a day game. Let's go. In Chicago. Marty's like, no. What time's first pitch? Is it, it's during our show, oh, right? Oh, it's 1.15, Oh, baby. then they'll be fine with it. They don't mind. Okay. Uh, Marty, I need you to do me a favor, though. I need you to watch down that hall for Jamie Rivers <laughs> so that if he comes anywhere near where it looks like he's running, tell us ahead of time because I'm leaving the All studio. All right, so here we go. I feel like we can do better at we, this than we, we did at uh, softball. Yes, we have to They're do confident. justice for the Fastlane. All right, let's do this. We got to do justice for him. All right, so the lead Oh, off. my God, it's Jesus. me. Okay, well, it's me. I'm okay with this one, then. 
Meat. Are you serious? Meat. It's a 115 game. Come on, man. You I don't, don't care. You don't take our bit. Yeah, I'm working in the office, getting ready for our show, Fast Lane, oh 2 o'clock today. Uh, and I. Jamie just texted me skull Is that the lineup emojis. game that I just heard? Jamie just texted me skull bone emojis. Jamie just said you guys are dead. Oh I have God. warned Tanner about this before. Marty the Party is in today, and we've got issues now, boys. Hey, me, this you are starting us. a war this that you cannot yeah, handle. This wasn't us. Meet, you want to play with us? No, I Come don't. On, meet, I've seen the lineup this. already. <laughs> but <laughs> that is not okay for you guys to play this right. game. I feel like we can do better at this. Than than the fast lane. This is actually okay. making justice for us. If we go 100% here, do you give us credit then? If you get one correct, you did better than softball. Okay, <laughs> that was unnecessary, Brad Barnes. That, that is was unnecessary. But factual. But very factual. This needs to end right, right now. Wait, let's gotta, do it. We got to talk about softball later. Let's I've, do I've it. I've got an update on let's that. Let's do it, Meat. Come on. Jump I'm in tired. the water. Jump in the water. You ready? You ready? Here we go. Water's warm. Okay. Lead off. I think we I all feel pretty good about I feel so dirty being involved in it. I can't do it. We're one for We're one. one for one. Me. Feeling good. So We're already in. You you can't get out of the pool now. You've already jumped in. It's just gonna get colder. Batting second. This one's pretty simple. Dylan Carlson. I feel obviously good about Paul it. DeYoung, boys. What are you do, thinking? Hey, do it's, not what, try. What do you? What do you? Do not Yachty try. is back and healthy. He's hitting in the two spot today. Meet. We're trying to make justice yeah, for here. what we did come in the home run derby to BT and Stokes. by stealing our game. That's it. That's it. We got to go 100%. Batting third, obviously. Hey, you Paul guys are successful. Thank you. He just, just on a roll. Marty just went with it. I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know we were oh, agreeing no, no, to no, it. No, no, How about Nolan Arenado? Well, me oh, just said goodness. it. Nolan Arenado fourth. This is where it gets interesting, this though. This is despicable. This is where it gets interesting. So Yachty, sometimes don't 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 yeah, do not click it. We have to agree. This we're is like who wants this. to be a millionaire. Is this your final answer? Are you so gonna Yachty, play the Yachty song too? Is that what you guys are gonna do here? We know Marty we're doing that. We're doing that. I didn't hide that one in the system like I did all the others. Yeah, you hit a lot of the system. We found it though. That's from us. You hate us, me. Okay, we so, all can agree Tyler O'Neill, right? Like you're not taking him out when he's hitting home runs after you gotta home go run. Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill. Final okay, agreed. Tyler O'Neill. Okay. Me. That's five you for five, baby. Of, you sons of. If Tyler's five. Somebody on the text line said, "I hope BT comes into the studio wielding a bat." Well, blackout rage is. is he's on the game today. He he's not yeah, he as long as Rivers doesn't come running, <laughs> he's, he's not texting. That means he's not going to hurt us. Uh, I think six's got to be Yachty. If, if Tyler O'Neill's five, six has got to be Yachty. I agree. Okay, okay, now, now this, this is where it gets interesting. Because Stop this is where it. we disagreed, Meat. This is where we disagreed. Because I think I think Carpenter still plays today. And if Carpenter's playing, you're going to keep him in the seven spot where he hit that double. Oh, but you don't want to have a big game with the bases loaded. I, I would put Carp seven. Oh, I think DeYoung's back there. We know that this is a manager that defers to his vets. He's coming back. He's... He was already demoted from the cleanup spot. I feel like he's got DeYoung's got to be batting seventh, right? I hope you get all I, these wrong. I think it's Carp. I really think like my gut wrong. is telling me hockey Karp. guy and baseball guy. Who are you trusting? Should we leave, we'll leave Marty? Because Meat already saw the answer. Otherwise, Meat would give us the well, answer. Marty's got Marty the would, lineup as well. Oh, does he? Never yeah. mind. Otherwise, oh. you wouldn't be able to. Be I just thought he was. I think it's Andrew answers. Kisner, guys. I'm pretty sure that's who's. I thought who's it was. I think, go, I think we go Paul DeYoung. I think we got to go Paul DeYoung. I, I don't want to, man, but if you want to... You... Final answer, Paul DeYoung. Oh, Karma! Woo! This is Matt Carpenter, isn't it, Marty? Yes. Oh, no my way. God! No way. Hey, you leave this game to the pros. So then That's Paul... all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, leave it to the pros! 100% so, then Paul... so then Paul DeYoung would be eighth. Thanks for hopping in, uh, yeah, Barnes. See me. Love we you, appreciate buddy. it. Paul DeYoung would be eighth, then. Because you're not playing Edmundo Sosa eighth. So we got Carpenter seven. You're getting Paul DeYoung in. Yeah, Paul DeYoung. Show us Paul DeYoung. You, 
I have this 100%. Oh, hold on, we got one more? No, we don't. This is the pitcher. Yeah. Oh, yeah, pitcher. Johan Oviedo. <laughs> Marty, don't <laughs> you shake Marty your damn head. There's no DH like, available. <laughs> well, we would have redeemed ourselves for the fast lane if we would have went 100% and you would have went with the hockey guy. Yeah, I apologize, man. I got, I got nothing hey, for you on that. Hey, eight for nine is pretty damn good, though. If you do that in a I softball home run derby, you're helping a victory. All right, so your lineup today. Tommy Edmonds batting leadoff for you in right field. Dylan Carlson batting second in center. Paul Goldschmidt is hitting third and playing first. You got Nolan Arenado batting cleanup, of course, at third base today. Tyler O'Neill batting fifth and left. Yadier Molina is batting sixth in catching for you. Matt Carpenter. Getting the start at second today. Hey, man, you get to go two for three in the game. You got you to go again, right? God bless him. Matt Carpenter is batting seventh and playing second. And then Paul DeYoung makes his return to the lineup, batting eighth. I'm stunned by it. I was obviously very wrong. All right, Jamie's sending me cryptic <clears throat> messages because he keeps sending me tombstone emojis. I'm a little worried, actually. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. <laughs> if we're still alive when we return, questions and answers is coming up next. Letting in a drink. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. By the way, earlier today, we said that Kyle Hendricks is starting for the Cubs. They've changed their starting pitching expectation for this weekend. Uh, it looks like Hendricks is now expected to go in tomorrow night's game. Today, it will be Cole Stewart getting the start for the Chicago Cubs. So far this year, he has two starts. He went five innings, gave up one run, zero earned against the San Diego Padres about two weeks ago. And then in his most recent start, went three and two thirds, gave up three earned runs against the Giants. So had a, a couple of quick starts for them so far this year. He is a 26 year old, has previously had a little bit of opportunities with the Minnesota Twins. So it's gonna be Cole Stewart on the mound for the Cubs today, a righty on the mound for them. So just heads up for everybody. It's always good when you get rid of Kyle Hendricks. That means you got a chance. Well, here's the problem. Tomorrow is probably the best opportunity for the Cardinals to have a well-pitched game with John Gant Whoa. on the mound, and now you're going up against Kyle Hendricks in that game. Whoa, shots fired at Johan. You hear any lies? No. Were there any lies that were told? No. Well, maybe. Uh, well, I guess let's wait and find out what he does this <laughs> yeah, afternoon. Yeah, okay. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. All right, let's start with this one, Alex. If the Blues could somehow find a way to sign Gabriel Landeskog this offseason. What kind of contracts do you think he's going to be looking for? If you're Gabriel Landeskog, I would imagine you're wanting one that kind of keeps you locked up for the long term of your career or rest of your career because with a flat cap, you just don't know what that's going to look like. And usually when you're at that age, your players, you like to sign contracts in case of injuries. And he'll be 29 next year. I would say it's going to be a six or seven year contract. I would say if it's anybody other than Colorado, you're looking at six or seven million dollars a year and you're looking at a no movement clause. That's the only way you're getting that done. Well, then the Blues aren't getting him. Well, maybe unless now Doug Armstrong has got to be desperate. Now you got to give people no movement. He saw what happens when you can't give them. Maybe you got to go give one. Yeah, they're not getting him. No. If it's going to take a no movement clause, that's not something the Blues will be interested in doing. I pretty confident in that 65780 <laughs> is the air comfort service sex line uh from the 618 guys who are you rooting for to win the cup given the teams that are remaining 
who are you rooting for out of the teams that are remaining to win the cup, Alex? You got the Islanders and the Lightning, and then you got the Canadians and the Golden Knights. Well, We're down to the final it's four. It's tough because there's a former blue on every one of the teams right mm-hmm. now, so you can't really pick and choose. I mean, you got the hometown hero in Patty. Um, Pat Maroon, by the way, not just Patty. Joel Edmondson, Reeves and Petro, and then you got, he's not a part of the Blues, but Scott Mayfield, who is a St. Louis native. Um, you know, honestly, I'd like to see either Montreal or the Islanders win. Tampa just won, and as much as I'd love to see Maroon win, I, lo- I always like seeing a team that hasn't won in a really long time. And I know Vegas hasn't won, but maybe this is just me, but like personal vendetta, I don't feel like an expansion team should win a cup that soon. Like you got to wait your pay your dues like 50 years like the Blues did. Um, I, I think I'm a, I'm a, I might root for the Islanders. I, I like Scott Mayfield, and I think Lou Lamarillo did a really good job with his trade deadline acquisitions. But that's the thing for me. I don't really have like a personal side once the blues are eliminated i kind of just like watching good hockey but i think i'm gonna root for the islanders so my sitting on the fence answer which you know i gotta give alex all four great uh great great efforts right that's what you want no i'm i would take whoever is the winner of this vegas golden knights versus montreal oh series God, i thought you were gonna say i'll take the winner of whoever wins the cup and be like yeah no blank <laughs> no i will be rooting for whoever wins vegas versus montreal i think i'm rooting for vegas though to win that series i want to see petro do it again man I really do. I would love to see him. I would love to see Ryan Reeves get one. Yeah, that's, that's true. a fun team. I really do enjoy everybody outside of Mark Stone. I hate Mark Stone. I dislike that guy I so know, much. It hurts. Talked about this off air the other day. I really dislike him. And what makes it even worse is that apparently he's like the best teammate in the world. Well, in the same with Pete DeBoer, I dislike Pete DeBoer, but Jamie has told me Pete DeBoer is probably like one of the best coaches right now in the NHL. So like two guys that you hate. And you don't want to see them win, which is really weird. But I'm also rooting for Ryan Reeves, and I'm rooting for Petro to be able to go yeah, get one. I didn't even mention Jake Allen, too, in Montreal. So you got another tie-in with that one. And I would root for Carey Price. I think it's a cool star- story. He's one uh, of the yeah. best goaltenders of he the last 20 years. And the one thing that is really missing from his resume is he has not got that cup for and, Montreal. And the other one, too, is Shea Weber. Shea Weber is, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, but he hasn't won a cup, which I think people hold against him. He's another guy that I'd love to see go out there and get a cup. And look, I, I loved Joel Edmondson and Jake Allen when they were here. They were fun and easy to cover. So honestly, there's not a side that I wouldn't be rooting for other than Tampa, and that's nothing against Pat Maroon. But I also hate the way Tampa went about it to where you kept a guy out all year and then brought him back for the playoffs. And then, of course, they dominated. <laughs> Nate. Blues kind of did something similar last year with uh, with Vladdy. So I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, but Vladdy was manipul- actually hurt. Yeah, but you got to manipulate the cap in some way. You know You know what? You're a big cheater. Yeah, I'm, How's I'm that feel? Hey, if, if there are rules, you tell me what the rules are. And I'll play within the rules. They played within the rules, and now they're... What's it like getting where you are in life by cheating, BK? Uh, feels like I got a couple of promotions during a pandemic. Now we know why. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Sex Line. Final question for questions and answers from the 309. Do you guys believe that BK and Ferrario will remain a show on Monday after BT Blackout rages uh, you guys for stealing the lineup game? Guys, I'm not worried about BT. I'm worried about Jamie. He keeps sending us tombstone and RIP emojis. Like, I'm getting really concerned right now. I won't be here on Monday. Either yeah, way. What the hell? Well, the good news is, like, I have Katie Wu and Jeremy Rutherford in studio, so you can't kill me then. Maybe during that one o'clock hour, BT's with me. He might take me out. Then. I'll be drinking unlimited mosas out in uh, Denver, Colorado. So you enjoy it here. <laughs> Hopefully, you're still alive when I get back on Tuesday. Hey, I got a Branson bound trip in two weeks, so you better keep me alive. Top three trip in the Midwest, Amen, from what brother. I understand. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Robert Murray of Fansided reported a couple of days ago that the Cardinals are already in on the pitching market. 
Who does he see as a potential fit for St. Louis? We'll talk to him about that in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, John Mozeliak has made his first public comments since all of these injuries have taken place. We'll tell you what he had to say to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch next on 101 ESPN. Kucherov probably wasn't the timing of these injuries aren't great you know maybe it's uh it's something when you get into august you're finally at the team you thought you were going to be that's still two months away so it's not like you can simply say let's just be patient and 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 try to muddle through this it's you know we're gonna have to look at at, at ways to to strengthen our club and and uh there is no timeouts in this business so we got to keep going that's what john Mosellock sounded like this this time last week he has now updated his statements. He talked with the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I believe this comes from Rick Hummel. He said, quote, you're probably starting to see some clarity on how teams are looking at themselves in terms of them likely willing to break up the club that they left camp with. But it's still probably a bit premature to make a trade unless you're willing to pay perhaps above market. It's tricky, too, because there's a time when we will end up being healthy and trying to find what makes the most sense for us is going to take a little more than just what we want to chase. The good news for us is I see us slowly getting healthy. It's going to be a different team in August, but I do think we have to engage in that trade market and see what it looks like. So there's two ways that I'm looking at this comment. One, I'm thinking of the fans' perspective that hear that and say, ah, Mo's not making any deals now. He's saying that we're getting healthy and that's just as good as a trade. But if you calm down a bit, I think that's him saying they're not going to make a trade until the, te- the deadline. So I think the last line is the most important one. It says, I do think we have to engage in that trade market and see what it looks like. I think the other thing you have to look at is where he says – it's still probably a bit premature to trade unless you're willing to pay perhaps above market. I think the Cardinals have to be willing to pay above market. And I think these comments, part of what this is, is him trying to make it look like they're not as desperate as we all know that they are right now. Because when you are as desperate as the Cardinals are for rotation help, and I think other teams can sense it whether he makes these comments or not, you're going to have to pay even more than what other teams would because they know, hey, man, there is some urgency, right? Remember in the, the beginning of the pandemic, you would go on the secondary market to be able to go out there and buy some toilet paper because you couldn't go to any of the shelves around town. And so people were paying 10 bucks per roll of toilet paper. That's what that's what's going on right now for the Cardinals. There's a lack of pitching out there available. The Cardinals are a team that is in need of that pitching. And so other teams are hiking up that price. Supply and demand, man. This is how the market works. And that's why you got to wait till the deadline. I think if you wait till the deadline, more teams become available. Then teams, when you have seven, eight, nine, ten different pitchers on the market, it's not one or two guys like Kyle Gibson and that's it. And you can't command as much because then you go to the next person and say, okay, what will you do for me? Right? You start with the top and then you work your way down. Whereas right now, there's no working your way down. You start at the top. What I feel like Mo is saying there is, look, everyone wants us to make a move right now. We've called teams and their first demand is Matthew Libator and Nolan Gorman. And we're not giving those guys up. So we're going to wait until this market plays itself out a little bit more. See what our team absolutely looks like. And when we get into a desperate situation, we make the move. But if we don't get into the desperation situation, we can wait a little bit longer. And I think that's important. It's interesting. There was a piece up today from Ken Rosenthal on The Athletic about the trade market. And he said that this year is going to be a little different, not because there's a lack of players that are going to be available at the big league level, but because there might be a lack of players available in the minor league level because of all the injuries. So you're having teams that are having to backfill from the minors up to the bigs. 
And you're also having teams that are then looking out at the trade market and saying, hey, man, I can't give you our top prospects. Right. Otherwise, who are we pitching at the AAA level? Mm-hmm. I think there might be some truth to that for the Cardinals right now. I mean, they're looking at Shelby Miller to come in and potentially start down in AAA Eek. because they're running out of options down there. Their options for their AAA rotation are now either in the big league bullpen or in their big league ro- rotation right now. So there's there's some truth to that. I do think despite all of these things that we've just said as kind of the disclaimers, I still believe this is a team that needs to go out there and make a move. I think they need to make one soon. And I also think what you're saying about the trade deadline could also be true. I want to play something that Buster only told us yesterday because I thought this was the single most important takeaway from our conversation with him. The Cardinals might be able to make a trade now and also then make a trade at the deadline. This is pure speculation from, from me. Um, I, I think they need something to prop up their rotation to, to kind of keep them in play and buy time uh, you know, to, to, for the team to sort of define itself. But I can't imagine that if you're trading for Kyle Gibson, who you know, is, a, is a good major league pitcher, but I, he's not a star, I, I don't see the cost of Kyle Gibson being so outrageous. And if it was, then you can understand why, you know, John Mazalek would, would hang up the phone. That's what I think this team needs to do. Do you remember a few years ago, it was the Minnesota Twins. It was in 2017. They traded at the deadline, or it, they traded a little before the deadline, actually. It was pretty close to right around this time, frankly, for Jaime Garcia, former Cardinal starter. They wanted to find out, okay, what is this team going to be as we get, as we approach the deadline? Is this a true contender? Are we going to continue going for it? And if we are, we'll make another move at the deadline to continue improving the roster. And if we fall back a little bit, then we'll just go ahead and make other moves. We'll sell things off. What they did, they ended up falling back. They, they were not as good as they thought they were whenever they traded for Jaime Garcia. And they ended up trading him to the New York Yankees at the deadline. So they traded for him in like June-ish. And then they traded him away before the deadline. That's the type of thing that I think the Cardinals could do potentially. You trade for a guy like Kyle Gibson. You get some starts out of him right now. And in a worst case scenario, which I don't foresee for this team, you could also then trade him at the deadline or in the offseason to recoup some of those um, assets that you traded for him previously. But in a best case scenario, he keeps you afloat for right now. And whether it be Max Scherzer or your guy, Zach Wheeler, I'm going to label him as your guy. He's now. my guy now. Yeah. Wheels. Your guy, Zach Wheeler. Your guy, Wheels. Wheelsy. Um, that's the way that I would like to see them approach this, even though it would be costly. I understand that. Yeah, but but I do think also to what Buster said yesterday, there's a chance you can make a move for somebody now. Like there's a chance you could find somebody who could help your rotation now. And now not and that's it, why I would go get Kyle Gibson now. Yeah, because from what Buster made it seem, you could get him for a B plus prospect rather than giving up a Nolan Gorman or a Matthew Libator or a Zach Thompson. You could give up somebody that's a little bit deeper into your rotation. Maybe it's an Oviedo or a Rondon. And you could go into that and say, Now we got this guy. Let's see how we compete because maybe we don't need to go spend at the trade deadline. Maybe he helps us when we get Jack Flaherty back and you have Wayno and you have um, Carlos Martinez who can pitch. Maybe we just do that and then we see where we're at. And then we go, then we shift to a bullpen or we shift to an outfielder. But I think you try and make that effort now to where you can find a piece that helps, but it's not a piece that's giving up the farm. Then you look at it and say, okay, now do we need to go crazy with Nolan Gorman? Now do we need to go out there and say, let's get a big pitcher who can help us make that run? I do think there's two ways of looking at that where if you want to wait or be aggressive, 
But I think right now, when you're sitting in the position you're in, where I still feel like the NL Central is yours to take, regardless of how Milwaukee and the Cubs are playing, you're a move or two away from being up there with the Dodgers and the Padres. And I think that's why you should have a little more urgency rather than waiting till the trade deadline. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This comes from the 314. Guys, I don't understand why you want John Mosellock to make a move. We are no threat to win a World Series. You really think Tyler O'Neill, this pitching staff, and bullpen can take down top contenders in September or October? I just wait until the trade deadline to see if you're even in contention at that point. To answer the question, do you guys think that we are actually a threat to win the World Series? Yes, yeah. I do. When this team is fully healthy and if they make a move or two, if they were to go out there and acquire Scherzer or um, Wheeler and potentially, so one of those two and a Kyle Gibson type of a starter, that, that mid-level starter, yeah, this team can absolutely compete with the Dodgers or the Padres or the Cubs, Brewer, whoever you want to throw up there at that level. Would they be favored? Maybe not. But I don't know that anybody's going to be favored against those teams. you got to give yourself the best chance to be able to go up against those squads. And I think the Cardinals, given their depth in the lineup, earlier today we played the lineup game. Paul DeYoung is batting eighth for this team right now. He was your cleanup hitter last year, man. He was your cleanup hitter at the beginning of this year. This is a lineup that is different than what we have seen for the last five years or so in St. Louis. Do they have, they do not have the same rotation that they had in 2015, for example, but if you make these trades that we're talking about, you kind of do. And I hate to say this, but Harrison Bader back. I like my seven, eight Paul DeYoung, Harrison Bader Heck rather yeah. than a in lot, my defense, a lot more than Matt Carpenter and Paul DeYoung. And that's with the caveat of Matt Carpenter's playing well right now. So your lineup is set. I do think you need to f- plug some holes, but look, anybody's beatable in the playoffs. I don't care that the Dodgers are superior to everyone and the Padres have Fernando Tatis Jr. and all this offense and pitching. Anybody's beatable in the playoffs, but you have to have the right roster for it. And I think that's why the Cardinals have to be aggressive this trade deadline. Imagine this team with Harrison Bader back because it's coming within the next month or so. You're going to get Harrison Bader back, I would imagine. And when you do, Harrison Bader is going to be batting eighth. You'll probably have Paul DeYoung batting seventh at that point in time. You've got gold glove defenders all over the place. If you then trade for a couple of starters, now you've got a guy like John Gant. Maybe it's whether it be Johan Oviedo or Carlos Martinez, KK, one of those guys going into your bullpen as well. And hopefully at that point in time, you're also getting Jack Flaherty back. And now you're moving another starter to your bullpen. Things could start to come together quickly for the St. Louis Cardinals this year if they can get over this hump over the next month, month and a half. It's really about survival mode right now to be able to then go on a run down the stretch. Honestly, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of what we talked about with the Blues. Remember we had that conversation one day of could the Blues potentially get healthy at the right time? Like Maybe they just sneak into the playoffs and they get healthy at the right time. They could be a threat. The Cardinals have a chance to do exactly that. They could be in that type of a situation as well. Well, according to this, because we believe the Cardinals could be a threat to win the World Series, we are brainwashed sheeple. That's what I've always said. BK, the, the Cardinals homer. That's what I've that's what I've always been. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we don't talk a ton of college football on this show, Alex. The college football playoff is about to expand, and I think it's great news if you're a local college football fan. We'll talk about that in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Robert Murray of Fansided wrote earlier this week, he fully expects the Cardinals to be diving into the pitching market. Who is in that market, and how realistic is it for them to make a trade soon? We'll ask Robert Murray next on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
Alex, when somebody writes that the Cardinals are in the pitching market, you know I've got to reach out. We're calling immediately. We are absolutely getting in touch, and that is what Robert Murray wrote earlier this week. You can find his work over at fansided.com. You can follow him on Twitter. You should do so. He's one of the best baseball insiders in the country. He is at by Robert Murray. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Robert, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? How are you? Doing very well. So when you wrote that the Cardinals will be looking for pitching on the trade market, we had to get in touch with you. What are you hearing on the Cardinals' interest and what's available out there on the market right now? Yeah, that's the thing is there's not a lot of options available right now. It's it's early June, and the trade market's not going to get kicked up for another month, which is making things a little bit more complicated for the Cardinals. They can... They're looking at the, the free agent starting pitching market right now, and Derek Gould recently reported that they're in talks to Shelby Miller. But um, even though they're trying to trade for some guys, the options aren't there. I mean, maybe you can look at the Colorado Rockies with John Gray and Herman Marquez. But other than that, those the options are really limited for the Cardinals, and that's kind of stalled their their movement on the trade front right now is the other problem too, robert that the cost is just too much we heard mo talk about a little bit uh, yesterday with the post dispatch about how you know it, they're asking a hefty price right now and it would seem a team that's already depleted in depth in their minor league system isn't willing to give up top prospects for guys who might slide into the third or fourth place spot in the rotation no that's exactly right and the earlier you trade for guys in the season the more the price is going to be and it, the Cardinals and all these other teams who are looking for starting pitching and impact players in the market are probably going to end up getting these guys for lesser of a cost next month or maybe in about 30 to 45 days or so, um, which is another reason why they should uh, they should probably wait out the market and sign a guy like Miller. And I mean, there's another guy, Brad Peacock, who's working out right now in uh, in Florida who could be an option later in the year too if they end up signing him. So even though they're not going to end up getting – a, a impact player maybe tomorrow or two days from now um there is still an opportunity to add some veterans on the open market and free agency and then end up trading for these guys later next month and that's going to end up helping them in the long run and, and something i think the cardinals are going to end up doing that's interesting robert because i look at this rotation right now and it's kind of held together by toothpicks and bubble gum and i don't know how they're going to get through <laughs> a month of the season with Oviedo, Gant, Martinez, Wayno, and I legitimately right now don't know who their fifth starter is. I guess it could be KK if and when he returns, but he's got that back issue that he's dealing with. Do you think they have enough right now to be able to get through a month of play before they can make a deal? That, I don't know. And that's a really scary thought because Martinez, he started off the year so hot and he's basically just fallen off a cliff lately. And with all the injuries that they have, that's the last thing they needed. So, if they're going to get through this stretch, they're going to need one of those guys to step up. I think Oviedo can do it, but he's been pretty inconsistent this year. And what is going to end up happening is if they don't bring anybody on who can contribute right away, it's going to end up taxing the bullpen yet again. Because I remember Mike Schilt saying earlier in the year that they were on a very unsustainable pace with how they were using their bullpen. And if you end up taxing these guys this early in the season, you just you don't know what's going to happen later in the year these guys get to come crashing down and knowing that you don't have jordan hicks now and probably long term that makes it an even more complicated thing so i don't know if they're going to be able to get through this stretch like you would you would imagine they'll they'll be able to piece some of these guys together and 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 make it work but it's going to be really difficult and schilt's job is is probably one of the more difficult ones right now in, in all of major league baseball
Robert, let's go down the path of uh, available pitchers like on the market right now in terms of free agency because a lot of our fans and, and texters ask like Cole Hamels or one of these guys who are kind of just sitting around waiting to be signed. Legitimate, Homer Bailey. Uh, yeah, Homer Bailey. Uh, legitimately, how, yeah. how long are you looking at before these guys could be impactful for a club? Because it would seem like they're going to have to do some ramp-ups, and by that time you're talking about the trade deadline hitting. Exactly. And that uh, of all of available guys, it would end up being Shelby Miller, who's the most ready to pitch. And even he's going to need some build up because he pitched in the Cubs minor league system earlier in the year before getting released. But Homer Bailey hasn't pitched. Cole Hamels hasn't pitched. Brad Peacock is finally healthy enough where he's showcasing for teams. So he wouldn't be able to contribute for at least, you would think, two months. So it, it, it makes it really difficult to sign these guys. But that's why I think they're looking at a guy like Miller is because he it won't take him too long to to build back up in the minors and maybe he can end up pitching at the major league level. But, but even then he wasn't that great when he was at the major league level. I think he had like a seven or so ERA last year. So it's not like they're going out and signing a, a future hall of fame player by any means, but that's what July is for. Um, but it, the free agent options just are, are not very appealing right now. Robert Murray is our guest. You can find his work over at Fansided. He's an MLB insider and national baseball columnist for them. Joins us right now on 101 ESPN. Robert, the guy that we've brought up as like the perfect candidate or at, se- at least seemingly the perfect candidate for the Cardinals is Kyle Gibson. He's starting right now and playing extremely well for the Texas Rangers. He's got one more year left on his deal next year as well. They're completely out of it. There, there's not going to be anything that comes out of this season for Texas that is anything that people will write home about. Do you think they are getting close to being willing to start trading off some pieces, or is that another team that is still going to wait this out as well? I think they're going to wait it out a little bit more, but that's a really good trade partner for them. Uh, and I think Gibson would end up being perfect just for a lot of reasons. He's been very good this year. He's just had a really good start against the Giants recently. Um, and he's he's somebody with the controllability that's going to appeal to the Cardinals, and that's a huge reason why they ended up going after Arenado is because he had that controllability, and he already said that he was not going to opt out of his contract. And sure, adding a guy like Gibson, who's got one more year left on his deal, it's going to cost him more, but you're going to get more out of the player, and he's he's got a very good track record. He was good in Minnesota, um, so I, I think that kind of a player would make more sense even over a guy like Max Scherzer who's been connected pretty heavily to the Cardinals I'm not saying that Scherzer wouldn't make sense uh he's a very good pitcher and he would transform their rotation when they desperately need it but but Gibson makes sense I think Jordan Lyles could make sense for them too if you're looking at a bottom end of the rotation kind of guy he's been pretty bad for the Rangers this year but he's he's been pretty good in the NL Central um and he's probably not going to cost too much and if you get him so I got to see Lyles up close in Milwaukee and he really took off when he had Yasmani Grandal behind the plate, um, and who was a really good defender, a really good pitch framer. If you pair him with a, a guy like Yadier Molina, that could do wonders for him and could make him a, a nice buy low candidate. But um, I, of the two, I would obviously prefer Gibson, but Lyles would also make sense. Uh, let's let's go down this route then, Robert, because right now I think Michael Gershwoff, the Cardinals, was the one that said, you know, teams can sniff dis- desperation from teams, and obviously the Cardinals are very desperate. What do you think mm-hmm. that trade is looking like for a Kyle Gibson? Are you talking Nolan Gorman because the Rangers know that the Cardinals are desperate, or could it be something less? I would imagine it's going to be something less, and I can't see them trading Gorman even though um, Gibson is controllable. That's He's the he's one of those pieces who, to me, would be untouchable, even for a guy like Scherzer. 
Um, just because Gorman, he's he was a third baseman at heart, but uh, he could end up being their long-term answer at second base, and you can shift Edmund to the outfield. Uh, and, and Gorman even practiced at second base earlier this year, too, in spring training. So that's a possibility. You can hit 40 home runs. Uh, he's just he's a, a player I would not trade unless it's just like the perfect scenario. So I would imagine it's going to cost less than Gorman. You might have to top with maybe one, or you may need to part with at least one of your top prospects, maybe top 10 guys, and, and work a deal around that. But I wouldn't imagine it's going to be Gorman. I, I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be in the business of trading any of their top, top prospects because they didn't even do that for, for Arenado. And I can't imagine they would end up doing that for a guy like Kyle Gibson. We're talking to Robert Murray for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Robert, another guy that we, we talked to Buster only yesterday. He brought up the possibility that maybe Zach Wheeler is somebody that gets dangled at the deadline if the um, Phillies continue to fall out of this. Right now, they're only three and a half games back. I certainly would not expect him to be available now. Do you think that's yeah. another name that, that could become of interest for teams? He's got some of that controllability that you were talking about as well. He's got three years left at big money on his deal. What do you think about the prospects of him potentially being available? That would end up throwing a huge wrench in the tr- in the trade market. And I know a couple of teams that I've talked to have mentioned him as maybe somebody they ask about, but as you said, they're they're not too far out of the race by any means. So I can't see them trading Wheeler now. Or I mean, if they end up if they end up being further out of it come July 30th, I'd imagine that possibility exists. And if if you can land a guy like Zach Wheeler, who I feel is one of the more underrated pitchers in baseball, even though he's probably a top five pitcher at this point. Um, if you can add him, that's going to do wonders for your rotation. And can you imagine a, a rotation long-term that's topped by Zach Wheeler and Jack Flaherty? I, I can't think of too many rotations that can compete with that. Um, so I'd imagine that call is going to be placed to the Phillies um, by the Cardinals. Maybe it gets nowhere. Maybe it goes somewhere, but it's a call that's worth placing. And if, if we're throwing an under the radar name out there, I'll throw Shane Bieber's name into the mix. Um, he's generated a little bit of buzz lately. I don't think a trade would happen this year. I would place the odds at, at less than 0.1%. Um, but I would keep an eye on his name in the future. Like that is something that I think that is going to end up getting a lot of buzz, maybe even this off season or maybe next trade deadline, but, He's somebody I put in the back of my mind. All right, you got all the hair standing up on my arms and neck here, Robert. So I I got a two-part question for you. One, when do you think Cleveland would look at trading Shane Bieber? And two, sorry, these are two parts. I'm just so excited. Does does a Zach Wheeler trade put the Cardinals out of re-signing Jack Flaherty? All right, I'll start with Bieber. Um, So if I I think a trade, if that happens, it would end up being – in, in large part, the Cleveland understanding that they're not going to be able to extend him. And they've tried to extend him previously, and it's gone nowhere. So a, t- a timeline for a trade of that magnitude happening, I would imagine it would end up happening in the or during the season at the trade deadline, and that package would be astronomical. And I said before I would not trade Gorman, um, but in, in that case I would because Bieber, that guy would – he would do wonders for any rotation, but if you add him to the Cardinals rotation and you add him with that lineup that has Arenado and Goldschmidt, that immediately vaults you right to the top of, of the World Series race in the National League, even even with the Dodgers and even with the Padres and, and now the Giants too. Um, 
But as I said, I, I would not expect Bieber to be a candidate this year, but just in the future. I just want to emphasize that. Yeah. Uh, and then with Wheeler, um, I don't know if that would mean you don't re-sign Flaherty. It would be, it would get pretty expensive, and I know the Cardinals have been pretty mindful of their payroll in the, in the like in the present and in the future. Um, but that might be a risk worth taking, just because he's he's somebody who, as you said, is controllable. He's a dominant starter, and I would imagine Flaherty and the Cardinals are going to be motivated to complete a deal at some point. But I don't know if it would rule out re-signing Flaherty. It might decrease the odds, but uh, the Cardinals might be able to make it work, especially since they have Molina and Wainwright coming off the books this year or after this season, and, and they might not be coming back. He's Robert Murray. He does great work for Fansided. You can check out his work there where he's an MLB insider and national baseball columnist, and give him a follow on Twitter as well. He's at by Robert Murray. Robert, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the next few weeks as we start getting really into this trade deadline season. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Absolutely. Robert. That's Robert Murray on 101 ESPN. I'm I'm not even going to think about the Shane Bieber because I yeah, know that's just that kind of the like, a, like a huge thing, and I know what Robert was doing there, but just the Zach Wheeler thought. Think about that for a minute. And I understand that you put you out of the running for Jack Flaherty and you want to keep Jack Flaherty. Who cares? You got a shot to win the World Series this year and a shot to win next year. That The two years, right? Total with Jack Flaherty's controllability, and then after that second year, that's when he becomes the, the, so the big three. time. So you got this year, next year, and the year after that. That's three years of a rotation of Jack Flaherty, Zach Wheeler. I'm under the assumption that Dakota Hudson will be okay next year. Dakota Hudson. And let's put Alex Reyes into that conversation. And you still got Matthew Libator, who I think they're hoping will be available for that rotation next year. Zach Thompson, who hasn't been great. Um, Miles Michaelis is going to be a part of this. If you don't have to trade Johan Oviedo, he's still here. You rebuild that depth to your rotation, but it starts with a one-two punch that teams do not look forward to in Jack Flaherty and Zach Wheeler. And again, I don't care that you're going to lose him because hopefully you get him, but if not, who knows? That gives me three years of me competing with the Dodgers and the Padres for a World Series. And for what it's worth, I, and it's worth mentioning, Zach Wheeler's contract would only overlap by the first year of Jack Flaherty's new deal. He's got two years left of arbitration, so he'll probably be seven and a half ish million dollars next year, and I would imagine ten to fifteen in year three. So it'd be about forty million dollars in twenty twenty three for Flaherty and Wheeler. It's a lot of money. And then by twenty twenty four, when it's the start of Flaherty's new deal, if you were to resign him, it's probably gonna be about fifty million dollars combined between the two of them. Again, a ton of money for two guys in your rotation, but it's only one year. And you got cost controlled behind them with Libator, with Thompson, with uh, Reyes won't be that cost controlled, but I think Dakota Hudson would still be somewhat yep. cost controlled. So you have cost controlled behind those guys. Money's coming off of the books of Matt Carpenter. You still have cost controlled of Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond, Tyler O'Neill. And is Paul Goldschmidt's deal done at that time? I'll have to look up. I think that's getting to the very like towards end the of end it. of it. Look, regardless, like that's that's a hell of a way to compete. And on top of it, if I go out there and be aggressive, like Buster Olney had talked about, and go after a Kyle Gibson, because that's the second person we've that talked would be the to. Final year of Paul Goldschmidt's deal as well. Okay, that's the second person we've talked to that said that Kyle Gibson is not going to cost you much. So you can you can bolster that rotation which is going to strengthen your bullpen, which is going to strengthen your team's pursuit of a World Series. The other thing to keep in mind, even if they don't make a deal like this for Wheeler this season, in season, it's possible they could go make a deal similar to this, whether it be Wheeler or somebody else that becomes available in the offseason. So the Cardinals are going to have some opportunities here. And you're right, Alex. They're in a winning window right now. 
especially in 2021 while you still have Wayno and Yachty at a minimum for this season. I think you got to go for it. And that's why I would get super aggressive and go out there and try to acquire yeah. a guy like Kyle Gibson as soon as possible. Maybe it is even Jordan Lyles. Maybe they can't get the Kyle Gibson thing done because he's going to cost too much. Uh, Lyles is not a great starter. I'm not going to try to pretend that he is, but if he can give you extra innings compared to what you're getting from the current rotation, you could send Johan Oviedo back down to AAA to continue developing him. I think that'd be worthwhile for this team. And I need to stop throw, get through it. I need to stop throwing out Nolan Gorman's name in trade, trade proposals because it sounds like that's not even going to be a starting point for the Cardinals. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kylie. The junk drawer is coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, sounds like the college football playoff is going to expand sooner rather than later. And for my money, this is great news for you, the college football fan. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. I really looked at this as something that Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, it seems like every year we could sit here in 2021, 2022, 2023. Those three teams are in. Who's going to be the one team to join those three? I don't know how healthy that is for college football. I just think that that's something that the decision makers have, have said. This is going to allow more teams an opportunity to compete. That was Kirk Herbstreit on ESPN yesterday. College football playoff is officially going to expand. Not technically official yet, but if they've got to this point, they're going to expand. And the expected date to do so is 2023 or later, which again means 2023. That's the way things work here. They've got money on the line. A couple of years from now, I fully expect to see a 12-team playoff for college football. Alex, for me, I think 12 is too many. I would go to eight, but setting that aside for a moment, talking about specifically the college football playoff expanding, I think this is great for you if you're a college football fan of anybody other than Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, those four teams. Yeah, I was listening to Paul Feinbaum talk about it this morning on Get Up, and he mentioned that it puts more onus on the conference play, and it makes the games more important. And some people had been talking about how the conference plays kind of have just gotten a wave because it comes down to strength of schedule because you're only going for four spots and then there are a ton of bowl games. I love this potential. I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of the common college football fan. Like, I'll watch it. I'm not the diehard college football fan. This makes me more of a diehard college football fan, if that makes sense. So, I would actually disagree with this statement. Really? I think it puts less onus on the conference play for certain teams. Like, if you're a fan of Alabama, you're making it to the college football playoff every year at this point. Uh, Ohio yeah, State, Clemson, like Oklahoma, Georgia, those teams, you can just write them in stone, in pin. They're going to be in the college football playoff. So it means less for them. But where I will agree with him is a team like Mizzou in 2013 or 14. The the conference play becomes that much more important because even if they were to lose the way they did in the SEC championship game, you could still get into a 12-team playoff. Yeah. Um, some of these group of five teams, you can actually get into this. It, under this scenario, uh, the Athletic put together their list of what would have been the expected 12-team playoff every year over the last decade. Under this particular setup, Kansas State would have made it three times. Wow. UCF, Central Florida would have made it three times. Uh, you would have had Mizzou get in there once. You would have seen Northern <clears throat> Illinois one year. Western Michigan would have got in. Houston would have had an appearance last year. Coastal Carolina would have been involved in this. I think that's good for college football. I think it's good for other teams, other fan bases to be involved in the sport for longer. In the current game, once your team loses, if you're not Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, those top-end teams, if you're not one of those brand names that comes into the year as a top-10 ranked team, and you lose that first game, it's 
pretty much over. Mm -hmm. Your season, what you're playing for then is can we get a better bowl game? You're not talking about the college football playoff after that first loss. Now, you could have one loss. A bad week doesn't kill you anymore. So it does take, that's where it takes a little bit of the onus off of the regular season. Yeah. But I also think that brings in more fans. And I think that's um, a good thing, man. I'm just pumped for it because just more playoff games. I mean, more one and dones. You just don't know what can what can happen in something like that. I just think it's exciting. And I, I, I personally liked the 12 because the more teams, the better. And I'm sure the the like diehard college football fan is like, whoa, whoa, not a easy on that. Like, let's start it off a little bit slower. The part that got me, though, and I didn't know if we were going to get into this or not, the Notre Dame situation. Yeah, so they're like, not allowed to be top they're four. They're not allowed to be top four, which that is incredible to me because they're not like they're the independent conference, correct? Where they can't be like a yeah. part of that top conference. But that like just the thought of being Notre Dame and just going all out and not even being a top four is hilarious in my eyes. So the way this is going to be set up for anybody that hasn't seen this yet, the top four seeds, similar to what we had in the past, will get a bye week. Yeah, they will immediately go into the second round of the playoff. And then you will have, similar to a college um, basketball tournament, 5 versus 12, 6 versus 11, 7 versus 10, and 8 versus 9 in the first round. And those will be hosted at the higher seed stadium. So, for example, with Notre Dame, they're not allowed to be in the top four because they're not affiliated with the conference. If they got the fifth seed, the first game that they would play would be hosted at their stadium. Same thing for Mizzou or Illinois, right? If Mizzou or Illinois ended up as a five through an eight seed, they would host that first game at their stadium, and then they would go on to the second round, and then that would be played in their typical bowl games the way that they have been under the college football playoff scenario. I think it's going to be a blast. Yeah, I think fans will see this, and even if you're somebody that right now is kind of hesitant and you, you preferred the BCS, you preferred the college football playoff with either two or the four teams, I think we're going to get one year into this. And we're going to wonder why we ever did it any other way. I agree. Again, I think eight is the right way. I would go with my five um, conference champions and then three at-large bids. I think that's the best way to get the best champion every year. But this is going to be a lot more fun than that. Yep. Having more teams involved is going to be great. And I think that, again, if you're an Illinois fan, a Mizzou fan, if you're a fan of Nebraska or um Oklahoma State whatever one of the teams that is a pretty good program most years but not quite on that elite level this is something that is absolutely going to benefit you because now your team has a real chance to be able to get involved in what matters the most which is the playoff and previously if you're not one of those teams you didn't have a shot yeah. you, you just didn't have a chance to really be involved with Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins I'm Brandon Ky Kylie Gary Gaetti coming up in about 15 minutes or so the Time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Alex, what do you have for us today, my man? So, boys, I was listening to the post-game conversations last night, the exit. Um, you know, once Colorado's bumped out of the game, you always kind of sit in and see what they have to say. And, of course, a very frustrated group of players um, that felt like they had a Stanley Cup championship in them. You sit there and you listen and you're like, okay, yeah, you know, you, there's no real way to phrase questions where you feel good about them after a loss because the players don't want to talk. Like, I've learned that over the years. But then there's a level of just, I don't want to be mean and say stupidity, but like whatever the less mean word is for stupidity comes from questions that are asked after games. Listen to this one towards Nathan McKinnon. I'm just thinking maybe out loud as far as in your shoes right now. It's like, all right, we've done all the thinking we can do. We've done all the game planning we can do. Maybe, maybe, you know, just f it. 
we'll just go in next year and just not think it anymore and just win this thing when we don't think so much. Is that, am I on the right path at all with this? Like maybe just guys think a little too much? No. <laughs> Last one here for Nathan. Hold on. You're telling me that I can win a Stanley Cup if I just go out there and say, you know what? F it. I don't need the analytics anymore. I've done everything we could do. I'm just going to go win the Cup. How is that a question? Like, how is that a question on postgame for a National Hockey League player? You okay over there? No. Like, even the player. Play the game, Marty. Oh. No, that's what he said. No. At the beginning of the question, and he phrased it, and I'm not going to throw any names out there. You can do research however you want to do it. I've never met the man. I don't want to be cruel. But like the beginning of it, he's like, I'm just thinking out loud here. Eh, maybe don't think out loud on a post game, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe ask a question that can get some substance from it. It is so frustrating. And I guess this the is... The gentleman's name's Adrian Dater. Oh, you're throwing that out there. Yeah, what the hell? He, he asked the question in a public forum. I guess that's true. I don't true. have to protect the man. <laughs> I guess that's true. I just... it. it Maybe he, he asked the question and dropped an F-bomb on a public forum. On a national... <laughs> like, they streamed that, that. Dude. They streamed that on the broadcast, too. So, like, you could see Nathan McKinnon's eyes if you watch the video, too. First, he rolls them. Then he looks at the PR person like, uh, is this cool? Like, do I need to answer that? And then they moved on from him really quick. But maybe this is just, like, personally from a guy who does post game shows and like plays post game audio and wants something on them you can't ask those questions because there is nothing there i almost prefer those oh, questions get to some out of the here. ones that we hear you it, ain't getting anything from that is that a good question no but we got content out of it content <laughs> yes but not like substance it was a terrible question that was framed incredibly poorly. And listen, I am as guilty as anybody. I frame questions poorly all the time, and that's it's on true. me. It's lazy, and actually. I apologize for doing so. However, in a post-game scenario, it just can't happen. Oh. Th- no. That no, and, but that's the, maybe the worst question I've ever heard. And, in the and press it's not even which is a high bar to clear. And man. it's not even phrased correctly. It shouldn't even been asked. That's not even a question. You're asking him. Well, could you just gone out there and said F it and go win a cup? To be fair, we've kind of said that's what Tyler O'Neill's doing this year. Yeah, but you know? not, yeah, no, no. Yeah, one person's approach compared to a team approach. They're gripping the sticks too hard. You know, we talk about it all the time. Maybe Get that's the problem. Out of here. That is the dumbest question. And dumbest is like a little less mean than stupidity, right? It's all the above. Okay. It's horrible. That is the dumbest question. No I think good, I very bad, atrocious. He got he got obliterated too. Like on on the on Twitter, uh, Pete Blackburn, who who's a national reporter for the, for the NHL, he's like, how does this guy get a media credential? Like, how does he get allowed in to a post-game press conference with this to ask a question like that? I don't know, man. He apparently, he has like 50,000 followers on Twitter. This, yeah, this, this guy was also is... the guy that, that called out the Blues for not having the players vaccinated. Ah. This was the guy who, because of the, the irregularities, he's like, maybe stop complaining about getting COVID and start getting vaccinations. Gotcha. Oh, hey, Adrian, everyone on the team had vaccinations. Adrian! Stupid. Come on, man. That is that is complete junk drawer. So one thing that I would like to throw into the junk drawer real quick before we get out of here. I'm we'll talk to Gary Gaietti, former Cardinals infielder, coming up here in just about five minutes or so. I won't be here on Monday, so I wanted to pass along this news story. Lazy. A nun has admitted to stealing over $835,000 from her school to help finance her gambling habit. Go ahead and click on that one. Uh, her name is Mary Margaret. <laughs> 
go ahead and click on that one. Uh, her name is Mary Margaret Kruper, and she's a 79-year-old woman who over a 10-year stretch of time while she was at this uh, Catholic school, St. James Catholic School in California, she apparently was pocketing money from their tuition dues and all of these different things. She was just siphoning it into her account as opposed to the school's account. And it ended up being to the amount of more than $800,000. And she did so to be able to finance her awful gambling habits. So this nun who was in charge of this universe or this school rather $835,000 went into her account from 2008 to 2018. And that, kids is called embezzlement and you could spend 10 to 12 in prison for it yeah she's uh she's planning to be arraigned do you do you throw do you throw a nun into prison for embezzlement oh yeah yeah oh i actually think you should throw the entire book at the at her man that's even worse it feels like it feels like a sin if you've got a nun you i feel like i can trust you right and then you go to her and she's just stealing 80 grand a year hey man. for a decade? She got away with this. Th- I, I'd love How to does know. the school, this is the other thing. How does the school not know like, hey, $85,000 per year over the course of a decade is missing? Uh, well, and I'd also love to know what she's spending it on. Like, is she is she sports gambling? Is she a slots person? Or is she just going out and throwing it all on black every year? Like, what are we doing here? Probably all the above, man. Get after it, sister. If you're, if you're spending $800,000 over a decade, I feel like you probably play all of the games. Her, her, her bookie must be like, hey, you need to pay up. I'm, I'm sick of doing this. Like, you can't keep telling me you're going to get it to me and I that get, you're a I nun. Get I get it, sister. But you got to pay. Yeah. You got to pay. There's no more of of using the Lord as an excuse. You got to start paying up your debt. With Alex Ferrari and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, Mike Hoffman, does he make sense to bring back for the Blues? It's a possibility. But coming up next, we'll talk to Gary Gaietti, former Cardinals infielder, played on both sides of the Cards-Cubs series. We'll talk to him about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. Great. Junk drawers coming up next. Not often, Alex, you get to talk to a World Series champion, a four-time gold glove winner, a silver slugger, a Minnesota Twins Hall of Famer, and a guy that's played for both the Cardinals and the Cubs. That's what we get to do today via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Gary Gaetti joining the show, played for the Cards from 96 to 98, also played for the Cubs in 98-99. Gary, we always appreciate the time. How you doing today? I'm good. Woo-hoo-hoo. Thanks. Nice intro. Absolutely. That's what we're here for. If we can make you feel better, we're, we're, we're all about it, man. How, how have you been? It's been a long time. It's, it's been a minute. How have you been? How's everything going in Centralia with the Gaiety Sports Academy? It's going good. I think now that the virus thing is out of the way, uh, we can open up a little bit and start getting into some team stuff. But that's been fun. You know, it's it's what I like to do, and I think it's, uh, it's an awesome facility. But, you know, that whole area just – trying to you know pick it up and get it what what it used to be a really good baseball area build it up again so we're excited about it what's the difficulty that you had to go through gary of of handling the covid era and the pandemic and trying to still work with all these athletes well the biggest thing was having to wear the mask with my nose and everything finding a mask (laughs) i hear you on that bk (laughs) understands 100 percent, gary (laughs) no it was just the limit being limited, you know, trying to get started, you know, going, you know, with a brand new uh, building and business and everything. And then being so limited like that, we had to really be careful 
Because it actually went through the whole place in Southern Illinois over there. The, the virus really went through there. It caught, you know, a lot of our instructors and, you know, some of our staff. So, you know, that was just a hassle. Well, Gary, we we always appreciate talking with you. We talked earlier this week with uh, Kirk as well, and I wanted to cool. get your thoughts on uh, this Cubs-Cardinals rivalry because it's one thing for the fans, and we, we've seen it on the outside looking in. What is it like to be able to play in this rivalry, especially out in Wrigley, the way that they're going to this weekend? They still have a rivalry? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I'm going to tell you, it's some of the most exciting baseball you know, just anticipating, you know, what it's going to be like big crowds. And really it seems like the crowds are a little more, they have a little more animosity than the players do. You know, it seemed like, I guess when I was with the Cardinals, I, you know, I really hated the Cubs. And then when I went with the Cubs, I couldn't hate the Cardinals as much, but because I'd started there. But anyway, it's just an interesting time. I think it's good for baseball. I mean, I like these rivalries like that, you know, and I know that not just, you know, the people in St. Louis and Chicago are always looking forward to that because it's close and it's always been a rivalry, but I think everybody around the country is kind of, you know, they get geared up for it too, you know, looking at the highlights and, you know, curious about what's going to happen. So it's a really nice atmosphere and the games are intense and, you know, I just think it's, it's pretty good. And Gary, you were in such an interesting situation too, because you played with the Cardinals and then the, the next season where you ended your career with the Cardinals and you went to the Cubs. I mean, that's one year from one team and then the other to the next team. Did that change your opinion of the rivalry at all? When you play for the amount of time you did with the Cardinals, then the next year you go play with the Cubs. Yeah, I did. I mean, actually that same year, I, that was the Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire home run circus that was going on. I got to play for both teams in the same year. And it really, it did change my mind because I mean, I'm, from the you know southern illinois area and it was like you know if you were a cubs fan you were just an enemy and i mean if you're a white Sox fan you were just crazy and, <laughs> and so but um when i went up there i mean i'd visited chicago on the south side playing the american league a long time then i went to the, uh, the north side you realize what a really a great baseball town chicago is too i mean that changed my opinion quite a bit you know when i did see wrigley and what it was all about but um <clears throat> It was still, you know, I guess if it had been really big deal to me, I wouldn't have gone and played for him. But, you know, I couldn't I couldn't resist that, just loving to hit there and go there and play. And I will say this about a lot of teams and players that go there. They love to go play in Wrigley. I mean, it's just – I felt like Superman when I went in there, you know, the short fences and stuff like that. But it's just a neat atmosphere. And, you know, Bush is awesome too. But, I mean, it's just, you know – being played for both teams at the same, t- you know, in the same year, it did kind of change for me a little bit. You know, I mean, I had to be loyal to my team, but you know, they let me go, so that's all right. What was that '98 season like to be a part of, Gary? Obviously, looking back, we all know kind of the, the backstory to all of it. But in the moment, as you were a part of it, like you said, starting out with the Cardinals and then eventually later on that year ending up in Chicago, what was it like to be? On on the bench in the dugout while those guys were doing their thing with Sosa and McGuire in the summer of '98. <laughs> well, it was pretty awesome, really. I mean, from the minute the gates opened, batting practice was like the game. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people there to watch batting practice. You know, with McGuire and you know, and then Sammy. You know, it was almost a mirror image for me. And you know, there's a couple times there I thought Sammy. You know, he was going to run away with it. You know, but. I don't know. I mean, I thought it was good for baseball at the time. Took a lot of pressure off the other guys on the team. And, you know, it was fun to watch. I mean, it was pretty impressive. These guys were, you know, going head to head. It was awesome. And 
you know, I mean, it ended up good for me. Ended up going to the playoffs. I mean, I didn't like getting released by the Cardinals, but I mean, they have to make their decisions, and it was the right thing to do. And so, and it was it was a nice time in my in my career. Gary, I'm curious. Uh, you watched the pressure that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa went through during that home run chase. You played in a World Series and won. What felt like more pressure, trying to win the World Series or watching those two guys go to the plate every night, continuing with that home run chase? Well, that was easy to watch. I mean, that was just like, well, who's, you know, is he going to, you just thought they were going to hit a home run every time up. <laughs> I mean, that's really what you thought. But actually, when you talk about pressure situations, it's the games that you play that get you into the World Series, the, the pennant, you know, the yeah. going for the pennant with the two team, the playoff there, getting into the World Series is the real pressure pack situation. And once you're in the series, it's like, oh, this is, you know, we're here. But, you know, if you're going to come up close, you know, in the playoffs, and that's that was the real pressure time. But it, it got pretty exciting with the Cardinals game seven, too, now. You know, we're looking at, you know, in Minnesota, I was just thinking to myself at third base, I'm like, and, you know, I have taken – a hundred thousand million ground balls this year. One more is no different. And then Willie hits me one. I'm like, you know, just react. So, a lot of lot of good memories. You know, like a lot of different pressure times. I'm curious about that, Gary, because you were the MVP in the uh, in the ALCS back in '87, and of course, you just mentioned the pressure that is to get into the World Series. Do you just go into a different zone when you're playing at that level, where you just kind of cancel out all of the pressure that you're feeling? I think a lot of the guys that perform well. I mean, I did. I like being in those situations where it's like, you know, it's like kind of, I didn't, I wasn't real good at homework in school, but I love taking tests because I could just take a test and it was over. It's kind of like the same thing. I like being in the big games, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, excitement and having big crowds watch you all the time, you know, helps you uh, black out, you know, block out some of those things that, you know, you'd be nervous about before and, you know, hearing certain things from the stands and stuff like that. But, um, I would think anybody that really, you know, that's grown up wanting to do that when they get to that position, you know, don't be afraid to succeed, you know? And I mean, I just, I just like that big game stuff. Gary, you mentioned the 1987 world series between the twins and the Cardinals. I, I always go back and I look at Vince Coleman's numbers from that year. And I'm like, he, this dude really stole 109 bags in 1987. And it was the third straight year that he stole a hundred plus bases. What was it like going up against that Cardinals team in the mid eighties with Whitey ball? Yeah, it was, um, well, it was a, the speed part of the game that's kind of been missing lately. I'd love for it to come back. It's such a distraction you know, for pitching and managing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I love that part of the game. It just puts so much pressure on the defense. And it's kind of sad that you don't see as much of it nowadays, but that was awesome. Now, I got to say that in 87, in the, when we got to the World Series, the Cardinals were not at full strength. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if Vince played every game, but Pendleton was out, Jack Clark was out, and – uh you know, it might have been a, a much different series had all those guys been healthy and playing at the same time. But, you know, we got into the tournament, we got hot. So, you know, that's the way it went. I mean, the pitching was pretty good on both sides, but they had an awesome team. And that, that speed just kills. I mean, Willie McGee could fly too. But it was amazing. It, it, changes, it changes everything, especially if you sit in that manager's seat. That speed changes everything. You know, I'd love to see that part of the game come back. Do you, really would. do you think there's anything they can do rules-wise to to kind of start bringing that back to the game, or is this just something where teams have to value it again? Oh, it's philosophy. 
that's definitely philosophy. Some teams got to, you know, they've got to value it. Just like you said, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I, you know, I've been given lessons and coaching in some minor league stuff and, and, um, you know, everybody wants that, everybody wants that launch and everybody wants to hit the ball in there. Everybody wants to go yard. And I'm telling I got, I got some kids that I really want to teach them how to drag button, and bunt for base hit and slap the ball and run, you know, and you can tell that real athletic kids don't give up on this part of the game. You know, you may never hit with power. So I would, I would love to see it come back. It's just, it's just too bad that the emphasis isn't on that right now. I mean, it's just even though we had a couple guys on each team that did that would be fabulous. The last question that I've got for you, Gary, I don't know how much you've been able to watch the Cardinals this year, but the team's kind of gone up and down, and right now they're they're dealing with some pitching injuries. But have you been able to watch much of Tyler O'Neill in particular? I'm always curious to get uh, your the thoughts of a former great player on on one of the guys that's really starting to break through in the bigs. I I have not I have not watched closely. I mean, when I get back to Centralia, I try to turn the games on. I don't know, has he been has he been up there all year? He, so he was out for a while with uh, an injury. He, he had a broken finger, but over his last 13 games, he's hit seven home runs, five doubles, awesome. and he's batting 373. You got to love it. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's how it happens. It's too bad that he got hurt, but, I mean, those are the kind of guys that step up in that pressure situation, and they do it. I'm going to have to watch a little bit closer now, but, um, you know, I, I haven't been paying a lot of attention. I know anytime you got some pitching, you know, injuries or woes like that, that's really hard to make it through that. Sometimes you have to play. That's where it'd be nice to have a speed guys. And you play small mm-hmm. ball, yeah. you know, when you're struggling to score some runs, I mean, that's, you know, something that you got to consider and something we should have done, you know, in Chicago, you know, instead of just everybody going yard, you know I mean? It's been nice to move somebody over and, you know, get them in scoring position. So, but I still root for the Cardinals. I root for the Cubs, you know, and I like the how, you know, both teams are looking right now. I mean, it's not over by any stretch of the imagination. So it'll be exciting. This it's, weekend will be real exciting for these people. It's going to be a fun weekend, and we always look forward to hearing from you. Gary, thanks so much for the time today. All the best, and we'll talk with you again Thank soon, you. my friend. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gary. Got it. That's Gary Gaetti. He played for the Cardinals in 90, from 96 to 98, and then midseason switched over to the Cubs. Hell of a year to go from the Cardinals to the Cubs, and then followed it up by finishing out his career with the Cubs in 1999. With Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, do we, do we have an audible, Alex? Do we have a Ferrario 5? I think we got a Ferrario 5 because it's, it's We Win Blues Day tomorrow, BK. And it's time to celebrate some We Went Blues. So on Tuesday, we'll talk about Mike Hoffman. Yeah, we'll get fine. into that. You Coming up next, Ferrari 05, the five things that Alex looks back on with a, that Stanley Cup title, and he just looks back fondly with it. Mm. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 30 minutes, we've got a, I don't want to make this more than it is. No, a, a, no, don't spoil it show announcement big show announcement talk about that coming up here in about 30 minutes or so big show. no we're not getting fired i know let all of you guys down it's t-bone and company now <laughs> not yet it's coming there will come a day give it a not year. today give us a year it is 120 your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler all right we were going to talk about mike hoffman and the um protection list for the blues all these different things eh, that's we'll gonna talk be about there. that on tuesday that's gonna be there Alex, on Saturday, tomorrow, we are having the We Went Blues Day here on 101 ESPN. And so in preparation of that, 
I feel like it is the perfect day for you to give us a Ferrario 5 on your five memories from that cup run. What do we have today in your Ferrario God, five? there are so many of them, and I can't wait. By the way, the Roos show earlier this morning when I was driving in, they played the We Went Blues Glory Gloria from Brett Hall, and God, I forgot how hilarious that was. Still gets me every time. All right, Ferrario 5, Marty, hit the open. Still not going to get there. Okay, maybe next week, hopefully. The fifth one for me, and there's a lot of them. And by the way, text them in, Air Comfort Service text line 65780, because I know you guys have plenty of memories from that cup run. And, of course, it's just going to be Game 7 tomorrow, but there are so many to get to Game 7. And I'll start with the fifth. The fifth one for me was that Jaden Schwartz last second goal against the Winnipeg Jets, the tip in front of the net. And, it, I mean, that for me turned things around in that series. And I was thinking back to it. If Jaden Schwartz doesn't score there, I don't know if you get out of the round against the Winnipeg Jets because yep. that sucked the life out of Winnipeg to where Winnipeg felt good going into that series. But when Schwartz scored that late goal, and look, they happened later on to it. Pat Maroon scored a late one for them. That felt like Winnipeg just was like, oh, geez, this is not going to be an easy series. So fifth one for me was that Jaden Schwartz tip goal. The fourth one for me was the hand pass game. Like, I will never forget that hand pass game because of Jordan Bennington basically breaking his goalie stick on the glass as the ref skated off the ice. Craig Berube losing his mind on the bench. The entire team skating towards that Zamboni entrance and where the officials would go off of the ice. And like the post-game press conference where Eric Carlson made the comment, we're not playing handball out here and laughed it off. From that moment, I knew that the Blues were winning that series. And, like, I, I still will never forget that night. So the hand pass one was number four for me. Number three was the urinal game, the boom, boom, Gunnarsson goal. Because, and I think Curbs mentioned it earlier, they got those books that are on sale, um, uh, kind of reminiscing on the cup run, and they took a picture of the actual urinal, which I think is That's hilarious. Tremendous. I still think somebody should bronze a statue of Carl Gunnarsson on a urinal and put it in Enterprise Center somewhere. But regardless... That one, the overtime goal against Boston, him saying he needs one more shot, that felt like it was right back into things for the Blues. Number two is Pat Maroon's goal yep. in overtime. And I wanted to give that number one, but I'll get to my number one in just a bit. But Pat Maroon's goal, and it's kind of the lead into Pat Maroon's goal because in that overtime game, the first overtime or the second overtime, whichever one it was, that was where Jamie Benn had the wraparound and it was on the post and it was Bennington skate and Bo Meester's stick that kept it out, kept the Blues alive. And I remember Curbs told the fast lane guys this yesterday on his phone call. Phone call and I remember him telling us going into that second inter, that second overtime, and he said, guys, keep a level head because this either goes to the Western Conference final or we're talking about a season that's disappointing and they lose. So he's like, just make sure you're on board with this one, and it's crazy. And then number one, number one for me is the infamous Brad Marchand late shift change in the first period of that game seven. We're watching that in Boston in TD Garden. And the Blues are up one nothing. The final seconds of that first period, we're thinking, okay, this is nowhere near over. Schwartz takes the puck up the ice, and Brad Marchand goes off to the bench as fast as he can in the middle of a two-on-one, which gives the Blues the opportunity to dump it up to Petro in the goal. That goal went in the end of the first period, and I felt confident that game was over. It, which is hard to do, especially as a Blues fan, because like you always feel like you're going to blow a two-goal lead. On top of it, you're in the Stanley Cup final. But they scored that goal, and I'm like, 
this one's done because a 2-0 lead for how good Jordan Bennington was playing, I will never forget that one in Boston because from there, you could see fans starting to get really frustrated with the Boston Bruins on the ice. What's so special about that run to the Cup is, and I think most most teams, for let's be honest here, that win a Cup have moments like this, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure anybody have all of those moments, though. No. Like the, and I didn't even be, get all of them, you know? There will be specific moments where it's like, wow, I can't believe they did that. But, like, for, for the Vegas Golden Knights, for example, right? It, you had the comeback. You had the seven games in the first round, and then you ended up not being able to start your starter in game one. But then it, it's – I mean, they made quick work of the abs in games yeah. three through six, basically. The Blues really had to grind it out. From start to finish of that playoff series, I mean, they... Two game sevens and two game sixes. They could have just as easily lost to the Stars, you know? But the hometown hero comes through. You were an inch away from losing to the Stars. I mean, that wraparound goal, if Bennington skates not there and Bowmeister sticks not there, Ben scores it and it's over. That's what made it so special. And that's just the playoffs. That's not even taking into account the fact that Maroon was on his way out of town. Everybody in town had basically shipped him out and traded him to every team in the league. You were the worst team in the league. You fire your coach. game win streak. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And there were so many more in the playoffs, too. I, I mean, I'm thinking of the Tarasenko penalty shot against the San Jose Sharks. Yep. That felt like a different series. Bortuzzo's goal. Bortuzzo's goal against Boston. Game five against the Jets. Because remember, the Jets came back and won two straight in St. Louis. And you're like, oh, boy, this is a different series. And the Blues go out to game five and beat up the Winnipeg Jets. The Pat Maroon skating by the bench saying, you guys are blank. Like, there are so many memories that you can take away from that cup run. It, it's and we talked about this when it was Ribs and BK. And we remember when we had John Hammond and talked about making a cast of a movie. It still, to me, feels like a movie that could be made 20 years from now because the storylines are endless from what took place. I mean, Zach Sanford scoring a goal against the Boston Bruins, his hometown team, the year his dad passes away, who has a bad year. Like, there are so many memories that go into it, which is why I always tell people, like, the cup is not an easy thing to win. Yep. everything has to go into your favor and you just saw it with the Colorado Avalanche like bounces go your way in one round and they will go the opposite direction against you it takes luck just as much as it takes talent to win a cup hey the St. Louis Blues and 101 ESPN as we said we're celebrating the two-year anniversary cannot believe it's already been two years yeah. of the Blues first Stanley Cup championship it is tomorrow it's the we went Blues day the celebration includes a rebroadca- rebroadcast rather, of Curbs and Joey's final call in Game 7 in Boston. That begins tomorrow at noon. We Went Blues Day will also offer merchandise deals, a game-worn jersey auction, virtual champions walk, limited edition paintings, and much more. Check out the full details, 101ESPN.com. Again, tomorrow, We Went Blues Day. You will hear the rebroadcast of Game 7 tomorrow at 12 o'clock with Alex Ferrario and Marty Jenkins. I'm Brandon Kylie. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line. It's our favorite time of the week. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. One got to go coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for one's got to go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's got to go on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for one gotta go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. This one's a little bit relevant given the timing of the year. One gotta go Father Day gift edition. Alex, a good bottle of whiskey, tickets to a sporting event, 
a new tool set or a grilling set? One's got to go. Ooh. Father's Day gifts ideas. This is a good one. Good bottle of whiskey, tickets to a sporting event, new tool set or a grilling set. Which one's got to go? Well, we all know the bottle of whiskey ain't going anywhere. <laughs> that's that's an obvious one. That's the only way dads get through the year, right? Um, me personally, I would prefer a tool set over a barbecue set, but I love me a barbecue set. So I think I might have to get rid of the tickets. Yeah, and maybe this is me personally because, I mean, you get to cover them enough, so I guess it's not as enjoyable, but a good Father's Day, I can just sit home and watch the game with my grill, with my tools, and with my bottle of whiskey. So the ticks... Honestly, that think, sounds wonderful. I think the ticks got to go. I don't drink, so there you go. That that <laughs> checks that out. That makes a lot one. of sense, Marty. You're one of the very few on BK and Ferrario. This is going to surprise you, You don't Alex. drink either? No. <laughs> that would be the biggest surprise of the day. That's very true. I don't use a whole lot of tools around the house. Get out of here. So I'm going to go with the tool set. I grill a lot, go to a lot of sporting events. I drink a lot of whiskey. The one thing I don't do very much of out of this this group of uh, items is use tools. Man, you get a good tool set, man. That might be the best Father's Day gift ever. I got that last year, and it's incredible. One got to go. Food edition. Meat, this is dairy, veggies, or fruit. Meat, dairy, veggies, or fruit. One got to go food group edition. I think I got to get rid of dairy because I'm lactose intolerant. But like I'm the kind of guy that's lactose intolerant. And I'm like, ah, nah, give me the give me the cheese. We're good. I'll power through this bad boy. But you can't have a good meat without good veggies. Right. And I am a huge advocate for some good fruit. Fresh strawberries. Oh, watch yeah. out now. <laughs> Big time advocate. Big time advocate. So, I think the dairy's got to go, and I'm not proud of that because I do love me some dessert. Somebody said BK would rather have a man card lesson for his Father's Day gift. Hey, <laughs> come on, man! Man, this isn't this you Father's know, Day. Lessons aren't going to teach me anything about that. Yeah, yeah we try Marty, to give what him lessons got? on the tire. Uh, another easy one for me. I don't like fruit. What? what? Marty, how do you not like fruit? Never liked fruit. Why? Have you tried fruit? <laughs> if I'm at a party, for example, and someone's serving it, you know, I'll, I'll have a few bites, but I don't ever go out of my way to buy it at the grocery store. Never oh, have. man. I bring fruit every day in my lunch. It's Marty, the best. You, know. you got pineapple, you got strawberries, you got apples and bananas. Like, what are you doing, Marty? It's a hard no. Oh, my God. Alex has got all the fruits down. Well, those are the only four that I like to eat. So, uh, One got to go. It's got to be the dairy. Yeah, I'm I'm out on basically all dairy. I don't need any milk in my life. I, well, I that's like why it. your bones aren't strong. That's why your oblique still hurt. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I I'm good on that. You got to get through the day with meats, veggies, and fruits. I'm good on the I'm good on the dairy. Yeah, I, don't I just don't life. like going to the bathroom that much. So take dairy out, and I'm I'm in a good. Position. We know you're not going to the in-laws. That's for damn well, sure. That's true. One gotta go. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's gotta go. One gotta go. Trade options for the Cardinals. So you get to keep three of these. Uh, one's gotta go. Give Alex. them to me. Zach Thompson, Matthew Liberator, Nolan Gorman, Ivan Herrera. Thompson, Liberator, Gorman, Herrera. One's gotta go. Trade edition. I'm getting rid of Thompson. Uh, because I, I have Libertor and Thompson's been struggling. Libertor has been struggling, but he's younger and he's pitching for the Olympic team, which is always going to be a positive. I'm not getting rid of Herrera because who the hell is going to be catching for me? And we all know we just talked with um, Robert Murray a little bit ago. Nolan Gorman's going to be a pretty suitable player for this Cardinals team. So, yeah, Zach Thompson, gotta go. Ditto, CT. He's the number one option here. Yeah. That's gotta go. Doesn't that suck, too? Because, like, I'd love to keep him. 
I mean, you've got one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, one of the top catching prospects in baseball, and one of the top power hitting prospects in baseball. And then you've got Zach Thompson on this list. Yeah. I hate to be the bear of bad news, but that's the one that's got to go. And I just don't know if Thompson's going to be a starter for you like Levator is. Like, I think he'd be a back-end rotation starter, but I think he's going to be more useful as a bullpen pitcher. And you can find those. Or maybe you can't find those, but, like, you can't find a Matthew Levator, right? You can't find those. you got to acquire those. Yeah, exactly. One's got to go TV show edition. Oh, these will be good. The Sopranos. <laughs> the Wire. Oof. Breaking Bad. Oof. Mad Men. Marty started off. The Sopranos, The Wire, Breaking Bad, or Mad Men's one. Mad Men, rather. One's got to go. Which one are you going with, Marty? <laughs> this is this is an extremely difficult question. Um, I love all these shows, but if I have to get rid of one of them, boy, this is tough. I'll go Mad Men. Sopranos, Wired, Mad Men, and what was the other one? Breaking Bad. <sighs> I th- tough one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Sopranos isn't going anywhere. Come on now. Um, it's down to the wire and Mad Men for me, and I think I'm gonna get rid of Mad Men because I like the wire a little bit more. Sweep it. I didn't enjoy Mad Men. Really? It wasn't a show for me. I don't know why. Yeah, it, there you goes know, ever getting John Hamm on I, the show. That, that's the thing, is I love John Hamm and he was fantastic in the show. He was tremendous. Who was the female in it? The redhead. You don't remember what name was? I'm so bad with yeah. names, man. I'm she was good. I liked worst. her. The acting itself yeah. was good. And the premise just didn't buy me in the whole time. It lost me. Yeah. So uh, Christina Hendricks. Yeah, is Christina the, Hendricks. That's right. Yeah, she was in that Strangers movie. <laughs> She's very. I good mean, at yes, it. that's true. She's very good. I mean, at I it. was talking acting, but you're right, Marty. She was just not my go-to show. I I loved The Sopranos, The Wire, and Breaking Bad. Yeah. those are right up my alley. Yeah. So uh, the one that's got to go for me is Mad Men for sure. All right, one got to go. Potato edition. Potato, potato. Let's do it. Hash browns, baked potato, fries. Or mashed potatoes. Oh, jeez. This is another one. Tough one. Ash browns, baked potato, fries, or mashed potatoes. Hash One's browns gotta, go, gotta go. Get hash browns out of here. Wow. Hash browns are like tater tots. This is disgusting. You don't like tater no. tots? No. Why would I want tater tots when I have french fries? Because tater tots are better. No, they're not. They're less surface area. They're crunchier. No. It's delicious. No, you're wrong. You give me a good set of French fries or tater tots, I'll throw those tater tots in the trash can. Somebody said one's got to go donkey edition. BK, 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 or BK. I'm surprised I didn't even make that list, but that's, <laughs> that's fine. Impressive. No big deal. I feel like you at least yeah, deserved one I've been in that at least a little bit there. But here's the thing. Mashed potatoes are like the, the, the second one with hash browns, but my wife makes a good mashed potato. So hash browns. Gotta go. I'll find more breakfast. Hard food. to make a good mashed potato, too. It's true. But I'm going with mashed potatoes. It's gotta get all Damn the way you, about Marty. It here. That was Not a shot at close. my wife. <laughs> Not even close. Marty just insulted my wife. You're always gonna take the fried food over the the non-fried food. So the fries and the hash browns gotta be Don't here. Don't tell me what I'm always gonna do. I'm telling you what you're gonna do, alright, Alex? <laughs> um and then a baked potato a is significantly better than the mashed potato. No. So this was an easy choice False. for me. This was the easiest one of them all. False. Mashed potatoes got to get False. all the way up out of here. Coming Trash. up next, we're going to cross things over with the fast lane. I think Jamie Rivers is here, and I think he might be mad Big at us. Big show announcement, too. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. things over with the fast lane but before we do so we have your chance to win a pair of lawn tickets to see shine down at 
Point Fest at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. The concert's coming up on September 19th. If you want more information for tickets, check it out, 101ESPN.com. You can get them for $19.95 right now. The way to do so, the way to win this pair of tickets, is text us in, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Texter number six to say what we got in trouble for earlier today from the fast lane. You tell us on the text line what we got in trouble for doing from the fast lane earlier today. Texter number six with the correct answer will get a pair of tickets to see Point Fest. Cross the things over now with the boys. What's going on, fellas? How we doing, guys? We're doing all right. Are we sure? Are you confused why we called both of you in here? It yes. is a little perplexing. So I sent the text out to both of them earlier, and I said, fellas, we need all of oh, you. Oh, that and was you? That was me. Oh. Yeah, that was the guy that you responded with, F you too, and I apologize <laughs> for earlier. Um, and please stop sending those tombstone emojis. They're really making me nervous, Jamie. Right, um, no, it was a big show announcement that I needed all of you in here for to be a part of this. So um, hold on. we got, we got to get, go ahead and get this going. You need the music ready for him? Yeah, I guess okay. we can do that. Oh, boy. I didn't know this. Oh, God. oh no! I didn't know. I didn't know that was going to be necessary. What are we doing here, guys? Why are you dimming the lights? Why are you offering me a cocktail? Oh wait, this isn't. I'll make love to you. This is getting weird. This is terrible. Anthony, no, we're not supposed to hug. <laughs> Just a bro hug, man. Just on the outside. All right, go ahead, BK. I'll let you take it away. Okay, so uh, we'll go ahead and take some questions afterwards. But I'd like to make a brief statement um, to all of my three fans out there, including my fiance. Yeah. Future mother-in-law and my own mother myself. Keith, not isn't he's not involved in this. I'd like to thank all of you for the support. I would have never been able to step up to the plate or second base and hit or the outfield. Zero home runs at the Fast Lane versus the Rizzuto Show Home Run Derby without you. A couple hits. And it is uh, mm. with great sadness that I am here today to announce my official retirement from the sport of softball. It was a great wa- run for that one night that we played. I've suffered a career-ending injury. I'm what? never going to be able to recover from this. <laughs> it's come to my attention over the last two days that I have uh, actually strained my left oblique. It's something that I'm dealing with, and it's uh, going to take... If you play for the Cardinals, it'll be 10 days. <laughs> potentially a lifetime to recover from. They'd say 10 days. So my, uh, my softball career has officially come to an end. It's very painful. When I sneezed last night, I felt like I cracked a rib. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 And I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to play the game of softball again. Well, let's start with this. Had you played it before? Um, thanks for the question, Jamie, first of all. I thanks for being here yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, big day for me. Um, wanted to uh, let you know that I, I had indeed played. I was eight years old. The, at the time, decided that I would try things out, you know, test out a new sport. I was playing soccer, football, uh, basketball, and decided what to play f- baseball as well. I was third baseman. <laughs> ball uh, was hit directly to me, a ground ball, and it slid right up my glove and hit me in the mouth and busted my lip open. This seems to be a recurring theme for me when I play sports, and I never played again. After that, I'd be happier than a dog with two dinghies if you're asking me. I do. I do have a follow-up question, uh, but I do want to get to happy to hear that. Yeah, some We're of the some of the, the press here. And boy, I love our listeners. I am looking at the text line here. Um, I, I almost like right in a row here. <laughs> well, BK is going to be getting Tommy John now. BK <laughs> might as well get Tommy John now. You probably need Tommy John. That makes sense. Thank you, yeah. listeners. Thank you, Fastlane listeners. I mean, get ahead uh, of it. Yeah, quick question. One on one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Stalter in the white. Yeah, yeah Stalter in the white Stalter shirt. One on one ESPN. Now you say I'm retiring from my career in softball. Mm-hmm. Did, did you? 
I guess I'm confused. Maybe, Jamie, you can help me on this. Did you have had to have a career before you retired from one? Yeah, great question, Stalter. I appreciate it once again. And at the end of the day, you want to shovel up someone's butt, but. Okay. Still talking about baseball? Uh, I appreciate you being here, first of all. And yeah. uh, second of all, that, that that's a great point. And I, I actually signed a one-day contract with the Fast Lane on Saturday. Gotcha. Uh, so technically, yes, I did have a contract to be involved with that. Follow-up question to that one. Did they ask you to sign that contract? Nope, nope. Uh, so <laughs> it's an important clarification Just curious here. about that. Uh, was a waiver. The fast lane <laughs> wanted no exactly part. Why? That was a death certificate. <laughs> the fast lane wanted no part of it. Uh, it was actually our, our promotions department and our yeah. our, our marketing director they that forced you into that. That involved me. Okay. I've got a question. Yeah. Uh, based on results, you were not paid for that contract, right? That's correct. No, he actually oh, owes. They paid in beer. Just, they they he, did give me multiple Bud Lights. He, so he owes that back to the fast lane. Actually, overpaid. Uh, the text line has a question, BK, if, if, if you don't mind me asking, your comfort service text yeah, line. of course. Uh, does this mean you'll be retiring from radio in general? No, nope, no. Nope. Unfortunately <laughs> for the text line, I have seen uh, all of the praise coming in from all corners Sorry, of the guys. internet and the text line uh, from the 870. Damn it, I thought he was moving. Uh, another one, BK, you scared me. Thought for sure you'd be leaving the show after this. Well, that's good. You got like, mm. the, good, you got, like the good text and the bad text, right? I mean, right back to back there. Like, oh, yeah, you scared me. I thought you were leaving the show. And the next oh, okay. one was, I dang, a positive I, one. I thought you were moving back to KC. This yeah. is actually a good one here, too, Anthony. Uh, from the 314. Wait. Questions. Stalter knows what the text line is? I just oh. responded to them. Oh. I just responded to them. I go, I'm not sitting in my regular seat, so it's right in front of me. <laughs> in all seriousness, guys, I thought this soreness was going to go away. I thought I was just sore. Like my, really my, not much pain. Really you complaining okay. about it every day from 11 to 2. I, I thought we were I went on a run a yesterday. Bit. Every day. All right, BK. I BK. went on a run yesterday. Alex. And you know, I I, I run regularly. Yeah. I couldn't breathe. So first of all, it's a million right. degrees outside. Alex, you're running the board right yeah, now. Yeah, I got you, can you. Can you turn off all of our mics for two seconds, okay? okay? Yeah. yeah, hang on one just, second. Just, yeah, okay, thanks. Oh, so you're, mic, you need mics, on? The mics are off? Yeah, they're the mics off. Mics are off. Okay, BK, BK, just while the mics are off, just two seconds here. You have got to mix in some some weight training you have got to mix in some sort of strength training with this cardio i've been doing yoga, I am yoga. that is not Dude, strength training i don't you know just, if that qualifies you just did and one's gotta go Adrian you're gonna stop drinking to, dairy because you need more milk for your bones I this isn't a bone this is an oblique i didn't even know i the had bone strength in the obliques I thought you couldn't you told me beforehand i can't strain an oblique because we don't have them i didn't say no, that. brandon moss told you that that's a good point mm. And look Brandon at Brandon Moss. Moss. He yeah. hits he hit a lot of 47 runs. dingers. So totally he he's does. also the one that told me I should go to the batting cages beforehand. Well, and didn't. that didn't go well. We told you that weeks prior. Yeah, but when they say oh. go to the batting cages, it doesn't mean with Kara while she hits, you got to hit. Yeah. Really? Was Kara, by the way, was Kara an option? Was I, she there? She looked pretty good. Here's the sign. Like, she right. looked like she had some power. Hmm. Here's how the process was on the home run you know, derby. If we pull a Schulte and walk out to the mound. Should we turn the mics back on, guys? Or are we good still? Somebody yeah, said oh, we yeah, should yeah, back on. on. Okay. Yeah. Somebody from the text line said all he needs is a 60 day IL stint. Get his mind and his body right. Okay, just no, send him down man. to the minors. This is a career little... ender. There's no coming back from this one. Anyways, here's how the process was <laughs> uh, Meat's out, Jamie's out, so Alex and BK are going to fill in. And BT and I said, okay, how are they? And they said, we don't know. And then you guys came to the home run derby. And no, then you found out mm-mm. how we were. <laughs> that is unfair. In I fact, told you I repeatedly. BK the one day, uh, it was in the office. We have the bats. You know, we have the bats. We have a hockey stick and some things in the office. Of course we do. 
Dusty K was holding the bat and going through his swing. I forget who he was talking to. I could just see it from the corner. Talking about how hard he hits the ball. Oh, that was the John Kioski. He Literally, told him, I'll support like, you guys. This is my swing. I'm going to crush it. He goes, those guys have no idea how good I am. He can't even look at me right now while he says that. He can't what? even look at me. It's not good. Do we or do we not have bats in the office? Hang on. We do. So, so, See? Fact. So just so just to be just to be One clear two. just to be clear you so you are officially done with all softball activities ever yeah all softball activities are officially off the table for me the best is yet to come if you missed anything from today's show check it out on the podcast page 101espn.com the yes. 101 espn <laughs> that'll be on tuesday i'll announce my retirement i'm gonna i'm gonna let the weekend simmer damn you jamie tanner hendrickson is back on monday i am weekend I is gonna suck now i promise i am not fired i will not be here on monday though <laughs> I, will, I will have the show for you on monday the fast lane's coming up next on 101 espn with Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you can get top brand laundry sets with the latest tech to tackle any mess you might face this holiday, like automatic fabric and load size detection for spills of any size, from cookies and milk on your favorite holiday sweater, to the toddler of the house discovering just how fun cranberry sauce can be. Make more magic this holiday season. Let your new appliances handle the mess. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to 750 on select LG laundry sets at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details.